Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. Good Friday morning to the city of Indianapolis and everybody tuning in and closing out your week with us. I am Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton on the ones and twos and filling in for one Andy Sweeney on this Friday morning. You hear him on these airwaves quite a lot and I've heard him on this show uh, before. He is James Boyd from The Athletic. James, thank you for the time. Thank you for coming out of the bullpen. Appreciate it. Obviously, it's a little earlier than I, you know, used to, but don't mind getting up for you guys. <laughs> yeah, I went down and, and got you in off the circle, and you pointed to a group of how many people do you think that was? About 30 or 40 on the monument yeah. doing various workout exercises. Would you rather be doing that or be doing radio for three hours? Doing radio, absolutely, because that to me takes a certain level of discipline that I just don't have. <laughs> And now I'm thinking to myself, gosh, that effort from those people, that'd be nice if the Pacers would have gotten some of that on the defensive glass last night. Certainly a lot of Pacers chatter on this Friday morning. They are back here at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. It's one of the rare occurrences where Sacramento was here before you were. The Kings were in town last night as the Pacers. I, I think it's a disappointing road loss, and I don't say that very often, James, but and the Knicks are down three starters. They're down, you know, four of their top, I don't know, seven or eight guys. And you have a big lead. You have a lead really for 35, 40 straight minutes there. And then it gets away from you. And Brunson was outstanding. You and I were talking about it on the elevator ride up. I mean, honestly, I, I, my hand is raised. I'm probably one that underestimates Jalen Brunson. But you just got, I mean, absolutely pummeled on the glass. I, I felt like the Knicks got every 50-50 loose ball and that was the difference in the game, more than Brunson going for 40. Yeah, that was very much a, we just wanted more than you game, it felt like. Obviously, Halliburton, his minutes, not being in the fourth quarter affects the flow of the team and their ability to close games. But when you look at some of the numbers, 60 rebounds to 44 in favor of the Knicks. And they had 24 offensive rebounds. That is a, say that again. How many offensive rebounds? 24. I mean, that is an absurd number. And they iced the game with it. You know, yeah. Hartenstein had the tip out to, I think it was DiVincenzo, mm-hmm. who kind of hit that dagger that pretty much ended it there. Yeah, I'm looking at it here, got... like, the Knicks got 10 more shot attempts. They shot worse from the field, 39% from the field. But you get 10 more shot attempts, you win by four. Right. So to me, that was a... We didn't play well, but we just muddied the game up. We played harder, and we won because of it, And which is, I mean, honestly, that's how the Knicks usually have won in the past, you know, back in my dad's generation and even recently with them kind of making this surge, making that jump in the East, and you look at what the Pacers are trying to do, that's a team you might see later. So you sure, have yeah. to shore these things up as soon as possible. And we can talk about, you know, Buddy Heald, where were you? Yeah, I thought Heald was terrible. I thought Turner was bad. I mean – I thought it was probably Siakam's worst game. I, I, he has had a pretty high bar, but didn't shoot a great handful of turnovers mm-hmm. for him. Um, but just in general, man, I, I I was talking yesterday with Andy about it. Like I want this to become a rivalry. You bring up yeah. like your dad's generation, or hell, even my age group. 
you know, Pacers Knicks meant something. Yeah. And, you know, last night you saw some chippiness. You know, Halliburton has that dunk and <laughs> DiVincenzo, you know, he kind of, you know, stands whatever in his face and DiVincenzo pushes him and you get a tech there. You know, you obviously had the foul on Brunson there late. You know, he didn't react to it too, too much. But I think Brunson and Halliburton might have a little Team USA rivalry. Is there room for one guy on the Olympic team? Will it come down to one of those two? Um, but I must say, watching that, how do you not have just a ton of respect for the Knicks and how hard they work? I mean, it, it, it's a college feel to their work ethic, uh, to their ability to get to loose balls. Uh, again, on the glass, they I think they had three guys last night out-rebound the entire Pacers roster. <laughs> I mean, that's just, just an astronomical number for them last night. Uh, Miles McBride was big for them off the bench, uh, and the Knicks get it done. 109-105. Again, it was a big comeback for them. Uh, as you said with Halliburton, the minutes restriction, I want to play some Rick Carlisle audio. Uh, Mark's cut this up from last night. And Mark, is this kind of the full sequence with him and Dustin Napierak? Yeah. Uh-huh. This was, um, I usually don't, I'm usually not a big like audio guy in the first segment if I want to like take a peek <laughs> behind the curtain here radio-wise, but I thought this was the question maybe exiting last night. Yeah. Okay, 22 minutes for Halliburton Tuesday. 22 minutes for him last night. I am totally good with the number of 22. What My question comes from this is, why isn't it staggered more to where some of that 22 comes in the fourth? Right. Uh, he exited Tuesday night in Boston six minutes into the third quarter. Now, my thought there was this, James. I thought you were getting your ass kicked so much in Boston. Carlisle was like, he ain't getting to 22 minutes unless right. we keep him in the game. Like <laughs> It's going to get to a blowout. Right. So I, I thought maybe he kept him in there. But then last night... I mean, you were in control throughout that first half. I, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, okay, eliminate a five-minute chunk in the second quarter and throw that in in the fourth quarter. Unfortunately, and Mark, go ahead and cue this up, I don't think Rick Carlisle really understood Dustin DePierak's question. Here was the back and forth last night on that very question. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about minutes, but he's he's doing well. If I could ask real quick, though, like he obviously hasn't come back in the fourth every time. Is that kind of a same thing? Is it just because of him sitting after the third, not wanting to get the hamstring back? Up? We're day we're we're day to day, and you know, where I'm not going to talk about you know minute um, minute restrictions or minute limits before any game. That would be foolish. And you understand. I mean, right, I wouldn't ask you before. I was asking after seeing. No, but you're asking about tomorrow. And no, I'm, not. I'm just asking. I'm asking about tonight. I'm asking about tonight. I'm asking. Yeah, there's a range of minutes, you know, for tonight, and he was firmly at that range, and so it's it's almost identical to the first night. Um, but that's it. So you know, um, he's progressing. He's doing well, but you know, I you you never know. Um, until the next day, you know. So we got to travel home and, and all that. We got a game tomorrow. So, you know, we'll see where we are tomorrow with him. And we got some other guys that are a little banged up too. So obviously it's a pretty frustrated Rick Carlisle to say the least. I don't think he fully understood what Dustin was asking there specific to the fourth quarter. Not, hey, what's the Kings blueprint for tonight? Like wh- wh- right. what are you going to do in this back-to-back with minutes? Obviously I'm curious about that. Uh, having said that, um, and I know you wrote something on the 65-game rule earlier this week. You've been doing some Pacers coverage, for those that haven't seen it here, over the past couple of weeks. This whole just storyline um, continues to be there for this team. And again, I, I, I do, I'm do. i sure you do this with the Colts, James. When we talk medical, I just feel like such an idiot 
And so I, I almost don't even want to comment on it, but it's like a question I have. I texted Will Carroll last night. I'm like, what am I missing here? And even Will was kind of confused by it of like, you know, he, theoretically, he's cold coming out of halftime. So you play in those first six minutes of the third quarter. It's not like he is still, whatever, super warm if you're trying to bunch right. all his minutes together. So I'm very interested to see, and I know you'll be in the building tonight, how long he plays. Absolutely. I think that they have to be extra cautious because whether they admit it or not, he did re-aggravate his hamstring. We saw it. Yeah, Tyrese eventually called it a setback. Exactly, and that's that's the part about our jobs where you kind of just have to use your eyes sometimes. It's like the old saying, "Oh, if someone tells you it's raining, you know, look outside and check." <laughs> that's what that was, and so I don't mind obviously the minutes restriction or even how they're distributed. But there should be some explanation. And again, maybe Rick didn't understand the question. And I get it. You're, you know, after a frustrating loss, maybe you're a little prickly. I get all those things. However, that is the question. That's the biggest question is why can't some of these minutes be saved for when you need to win? Because as much as they were pounding on the glass and all the other things, I felt like the Knicks had their guy and the Pacers didn't. When they, needed, when they needed it the most, and you look at Brunson, obviously 40 points, and what he was doing in the fourth quarter, you're like, we need our guy to match that. He's just not out there to do it. And so um, it's frustrating, obviously, but it probably is necessary. I would imagine it's had something to do with how warm he is and the sitting and stuff like that. But even then, I'm like, do you just put a stationary bike sure, around exactly. there or right, something? Right, right. Like, yeah. I'm Again, I'm not a doctor. I don't know what's going on with the hamstring, but... Hopefully this leads to a, you know, just full recovery, whereas, you know, we look back in two weeks and say, oh, remember that time when Halliburton was playing only 22 minutes? And it's not something that lingers throughout the season because hamstrings, as I know very well, because Lonnie Woods can sure. linger and you don't want to risk that, obviously, with your franchise player. The Kings are a slight favorite for tonight. You would think a motivated bunch. Uh, DeMontis Sabonis, De'Aaron Fox, neither of them. Probably Sabonis had the more... I'd say worthy resume. Neither of them chosen to be a Western Conference reserve here for the All-Star game in a couple of weeks. Uh, and we know the Pacers beat the Kings. Probably one of the better wins of the season, really, for the Pacers without Halliburton, without Siakam, the night before the Siakam trade. Or I should say the night before Siakam arrived on the West Coast. Uh, the Pacers beat them earlier this season. So uh, 7.30 tonight inside of Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Obviously, the availability for Benedict Mather. I was a little confused why TJ McConnell didn't play last night either. I thought if you're going to have the minutes restriction on Halliburton, maybe you can take a little bit off Nemhard's plate. And Nemhard played a ton there in that you know final 18 minutes or so. Um, they did not go to TJ McConnell at all, even though he was dressed in that one. Lineup today, Greg Rakestraw coming up at 8 o'clock. We'll take an early Super Bowl preview with Ross Tucker. At 8.30, and I guess we did a little bit yesterday with Sheldon Day, but we're going to do it again here coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. Ebony Armstrong, um, who is uh, one of the directors of events here for All-Star Weekend, she's going to join us to chat about All-Star Weekend and exactly what is there for us from a fan standpoint. Um, so looking forward to that conversation. We'll probably have something like that. I, I, I want to try and do like every couple of days here leading into the All-Star Week uh, because I think it is you know just a tad confusing of like, all right, if I can't make the Rising Stars game on Friday, if I can't make the slam dunk contest and three-point shootout on Saturday, if I can't go to the NBA All-Star game on Sunday, which, just look at the ticket prices, what can I go to? And what is there for us? So, again, we'll do that coming up at uh, 9.30 with her. And Isaiah Rogers, that's not a name we've mentioned, James Boyd, in a while. Who's that? 
We will play some audio from the man suspended by the NFL for a year and then eventually cut by the Colts after that. Uh, he did a little outside-the-lines piece and shared a pretty hefty bet that he had on Jonathan Taylor. Um, now, he made it clear in the piece that uh, the bet was placed on his account, yes, but he was not the one placing it. it it's this aspect, and I hate to go back to the Rogers story, but it is a little bit of new info, so we'll play that at some point. But, James, I was thinking back to when all this went down, I think the player prop area is where insight for these guys around the league is really where they can not make their money, but they have a ton of intel. I mean, you know how secretive teams can be about injuries. You know how you know guys all of a sudden, and think about Taylor last season. I'm not talking 2023. Think about him in 2022, how many awkward injury weeks he had. Of like, wait, is he going to play? Is he not going to play? You got to Thursday, you got to Friday. Well, if a guy has watched this dude to practice all week, he's probably going to know how much he's going to play and what is the game plan for that guy. A $1,000 bet on Jonathan Taylor that was won from the account of one Isaiah Rogers. Obviously not a wise decision either way to have someone have access to your account, whether you placed the bet yourself or you didn't. I saw questions about that. You know, we were talking a little bit off air, like, okay, we're, can we get some truth serum in here to see what really went down? Because it just seems so lax to me. And he said it in the piece that, you know, he just thought he wouldn't get caught, he'd get away with it. But um, I guess my only other question would be, well, not only other question, because there are several, but one of them would be, did you, you know, bet the under or the over? <laughs> I, I was literally curious about that, too. I, my first assumption was, well, he bet the over. But then I'm thinking, and you were there with me, James, last year. How many times did we talk to Taylor on a Thursday and the injury situation looked like he was going to play and then either he didn't play or he was in a more limited role? I mean, Zach Moss was your lead back there late in the 2022 season. So, yeah, there are obviously a lot of questions. But Isaiah Rogers trying to do the tell-all, if you will, uh, with Outside the Lines, we'll play that audio. Coming up, uh, how about last night, late last night? I don't know if you watched any of Wisconsin-Nebraska. Lincoln strikes again, a court storming there. The Badgers blow a big, big lead. I, I don't think it takes a ton of juice out of Sunday. It still is a massive game atop the Big Ten, but Wisconsin does lose last night at Nebraska. So that is 1 o'clock on Sunday. Ian Eagles with John yesterday. Uh, as always, Ian Eagle, terrific on that podcast, so... We'll talk a little Purdue and Wisconsin, Indiana back in action tomorrow at noon. I think there is some optimism about these injuries to Malik Renew and Xavier Johnson not being maybe as serious as they look. There's some reports out there that x-rays and broken bones and that aspect all came back pretty clean. So uh, we'll certainly update you on that. If we get any info, and Butler, I'm rocking a little Hinkle Fieldhouse shirt today. Uh, Butler, not at Hinkle tonight, but it's 9 o'clock at Creighton. Uh, they're going to need a couple of these here in the month of February. They are a nine-and-a-half-point underdog. Creighton lost just one game in the month of January. Okay, good Friday morning to you. James Boyd is in for Andy Sweeney. I am Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton on the ones and twos. Thanks for closing out the week with us right here on 93.5107.5. The Out hustled. That was the story of last night in Madison Square Garden. The Pacers absolutely dominate on the offensive glass 24 Offensive rebounds for the Knicks. Yes, Jalen Brunson had 40 and made some big, big plays, certainly. But every single loose ball seemed to go the way 
of the Knicks. Here was Rick Carlisle afterwards on losing to a team down three starters. Yeah, we got uh, we got bullied on the glass, and uh, it's disappointing because we're we're a very capable rebounding team, and it's this is the main thing that we talked about with this game, and so um, you know we 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 failed. Uh, on the boards for sure and it's obviously the difference in the game because you know we we held them to a, a low shooting number a low three number um, you know, I, we didn't turn them over that much but the rebounding you know that's that ball's in the air <laughs> ball's in the air and it's anybody's ball and so we just we've got to find a way we've got to want it more Again, James Boyd is in for Andy Sweeney here on this Friday morning. James, I also thought Buddy healed. Miles Turner really poor. You know, Buddy has not shot it well at all the last couple of weeks. Uh, curious what that means at the trade deadline in about six days. Uh, and Jalen Brunson is very good at basketball. Yes, I would concur. He is very talented. He's another one similar to, to Tyrese Halliburton. I didn't know that he had this in him. Or perhaps What's this. What's his um, greatest attribute? Like... Strength, craftiness, knows how to change speeds. I, I, I was just watching last night. I'm thinking, what? And it's kind of like Halliburton in a way. It's like, what is that real dominant trait that they have? I think for Halliburton, it's obviously the vision yeah. and his uncanny ability to play fast but not turn the ball over. That, to me, is a skill. Because even last night I was watching some of the stuff that he did. He jump in 360 passing, and I'm like... Oh, yeah. Coaches would pull their hair out right. about that. Yeah. But with... Jalen, I think it's the strength. I think he's just extremely strong, and it's very hard to knock him off of his game, literally. And he plays off two feet. You know, the young basketball players out there, your coach tells you in high school to jump stop, and he jump stops a ton. Yeah, his footwork's which, tremendous. Yes, which allows him to always be on balance. And so when he does get bumped, it doesn't matter too much, and he just goes out there and continues to play well. My dad reminds me all the time. He's a Knicks fan. He saw Jalen Brunson play in high school and drop like 50. And he's like, I-, I saw him play back in this day and blah, blah. And I can't believe he's doing stuff now. And I think that's what everyone in New York is saying is like, wait a second. I mean, he was good, but I don't know if I thought he was this good when we played in Dallas alongside Luka. But as you said, I would love to see this matchup in the playoffs. I would love to have sort of that turn back the clock style because yeah. the Knicks still play like that. They don't play this they sexy are a very brand of team. They mm-hmm. don't play this modern brand of basketball. No. To be honest, they don't always shoot it that well. They it's don't a blue always score a bunch t- in the Big Apple. Yeah, and then they're coached by Tom Thibodeau of all people, who is going to play his starters forty minutes and not give him any water and <laughs> do the whole old school thing. So um, it's exciting stuff, but I think it's obviously something you have to learn from in the case of the Pacers, and you do have to evaluate your roster. I think seriously because. If Buddy isn't making shots like he hasn't been the last month or so, what value does he add to the sure, floor? Yeah, he's getting torched on the other end of the floor. Obviously, Miles is, is there as well. He has to play better. He's not going anywhere, obviously, in the trade deadline. He's going to be here for the long term. But, I mean, after being very, very consistent throughout the first, you know, I would say 30 games of the season, 35 games of the season, there's been a couple in the last week or so where you're like, where is this guy? He's got to show up. Again, the Pacers losers last night in New York to a team without three of their five starters. Tonight, back in action right here at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. It is Sacramento. The Kings did not play last night, so they are certainly more rested than Indiana. We'll see about Benedict Matherin. Toe injury has sidelined him for the last two. The Kings a slight favorite in this one.
Also tonight from Omaha, it'll be Butler at Creighton. It's a 9 o'clock tip. It's the last Big East opponent Butler has played this season. Uh, the Bulldogs and Thad Mata's second season already reached their win total from last year, and they've got 10 to go. Again, they need to continue to add, and, and you know, steal one would be probably the proper way to describe tonight as they are a 9.5-point underdog. The resume needs a little more, though, so an important one for Butler coming up tonight. Indiana back in action tomorrow noon against Penn State. Obviously, the injuries will be the big storyline for that one. Sounded like the early returns on both Malik Renew and Xavier Johnson weren't. I, I don't know, James, if you watched the other night when those two went down. How did you not think almost season ending, especially for Xavier uh, when he braced that you know left arm, left wrist when he fell down there? You know, IU has played better these last two games, but you know it, maybe you can get away with it at Penn State. But next week with two road games, including at Purdue, you obviously need Malik Renew and Xavier Johnson if you're doing anything. Absolutely, and I think. <laughs> I would like to think that Indiana fans would like to just take credit for it because they've just yelled about Mike Woodson and the team for the last you know week or so, if not longer. But they have played better. And I think I will always lean more towards this. And maybe it's because I'm just i not super ingrained with the team and the culture around it because I just didn't grow up here. But there is a certain drop-off that you have when you lose to NBA players. However... You know, to counterpoint that, there were some performances where you're just like, what is going on? I mean, when you have a game where you don't make a three, I'm like, what kind of basketball is this? Do your own lot, right? Yeah, yeah, which was, I mean, not to, and I'm not saying that as a dig. I'm saying that just honestly, how do you not make a three in the modern world of basketball that glorifies threes? And I'm just saying, you can't make one. And so, obviously, the bounce back win at Iowa, or or against Iowa, rather, was, was a big one. And now you're just... I think you're fighting for the opportunity to just be in the conversation, possibly, you know, making the tournament. I don't think it'll happen, to be honest, just because I think they no, lost we're, we're so much ways ground. away from that becoming any sort of a realistic combo. Exactly. But you do have, I mean, if anything, you probably know it better than me, having you know grown up here and all that. You gotta have some pride, man. Like, you cannot wear that across your chest, Indiana Hoosiers, and, and, and not play better. I do think they've had a little bit more pride here the last couple of weeks, getting yeah. the bar. Uh, had not been set very high this season. Uh, the other college games certainly of note this weekend here from a local standpoint. I think it's totally fair to call the Missouri Valley game of the year, 6 o'clock Saturday, ESPN2. That is Indiana State against Drake, the top two teams in the MoVal. The only loss in conference this season for Indiana State. They need this one if they want to be an at-large team, potentially, come tournament time. And then even with Wisconsin losing last night, I would say Sunday afternoon, 1 o'clock is the Big Ten game of the year so far with Purdue and Wisconsin both sitting there at 8-2 and two in the Big Ten. Illinois game back at 7-3. and three. Wisconsin blew a big lead last night at Nebraska. We got another court storm there at Pinnacle Bank Arena. Uh, the first matchup, these two teams, Purdue and Wisconsin, will meet to close out the year as well. Was that good news or bad news for Purdue that Wisconsin lost last night? Yeah, I, I get it. They're going to be a hungrier team on Sunday, but I think all in all... It gives you a little bit of cushion if you do lose tomorrow. Because now they now have two losses. You have two losses. I mean, you don't think Wisconsin runs the table the no. rest of the way outside no. of the two Purdue games. But I certainly hear where you're coming from on a probably a little bit more locked in Wisconsin team. Uh, last note, James, we have our final head coaching position filled in the NFL. It is Dan Quinn to the Commanders. Your level of surprise in that five of the eight 
new head coaches come from the defensive side of the ball in this coaching cycle, kind of going against what the recent norm has been here in the NFL? Yeah, I do think that it's a bit surprising. However, I think you look at what D'Amico Ryan was able to do in Houston, and you're just like, if you get the right guy, the right leader in place, and he can manage a group of men, maybe that is still as valuable or if not more valuable than just having someone who can call plays. I think fans love a guy who can call plays and scheme things up, but that's not all of it. And obviously it just comes down to who you put around that guy as well, because you are, especially in just today's NFL, I feel like there's so much movement after every season of success. You are basically your coordinators in a lot of cases. And so surround them with some good people and see if you can turn it around. But I will say Dan Quinn is facing a, you know, it's different ownership and things like that, but you're still facing a very steep uphill battle there in Washington just because of the recent history and just them not being relevant really um, just based off of, I guess, the transgressions of the previous owner. I'll put it like that. Sure, yeah. They do have the second overall pick. I think they have five selections in the top 100, most cap space in the NFL. Uh, But yeah, all head coaching hires now filled, I guess, maybe, maybe, Andy Reid. If he retires, I, I don't. That would be the only other one. I am. You know, there's there's a, no way you stay with Patrick mm-hmm. Mahomes until what? he's right. Done. And Andy, I don't know. Does Andy Reid like anything else besides football? <laughs> Cheeseburgers. We know that he said that before. Is this he is bombing true. the driver? Is he? You know, does he want to go retire and play some golf here? Uh, I did think there was a question about you know. Okay, Dan Quinn has history with Gus Bradley. I saw that chatter a little bit yesterday. On Twitter, I would assume that Gus Bradley would want to stay in Indy where he runs the defense, whereas you would think in Washington, Dan Quinn would still kind of oversee that unit there, but uh, maybe just a small domino to keep an eye on. When was the last time the majority of hirings were defensive side? Sure. Yeah. That's that's a first in a while. And if you look at the offensive hires, they all made sense. Two of them went to Bryce Young and Will Levis. If you look at Dave Canales in Carolina, you look at Brian Callahan in Tennessee, and then Jim Harbaugh with Justin Herbert. Mm -hmm. And obviously that's a 180 from Brandon Staley before. But a lot of defensive flavor here in this head coaching cycle. All right, on the other side, remember the name of Isaiah Rogers, busted for gambling uh, back in the summer. He has shared a pretty pricey bet that he placed on a Colts player. Uh, We'll hear from Isaiah Rogers, play some of that audio coming up here on the other side. And why didn't Tyrese Halliburton play in the fourth quarter last night? Rick Carlisle's answers, honestly, will probably have you scratch your head a little bit more. We'll share that coming up as well. James Boyd for Andy Sweeney. I'm Kevin Bowen. Mark Dykton here on a Friday. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It's the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. But what this weather did not provide is a shadow or reason to hide. Glad tidings on this Groundhog Day. An early spring is on the way. Hallelujah. Phil did not see a shadow on no. this February 2nd morning. We saw the sun yesterday. Now the Groundhog, Gosh. one of the weirdest traditions in the country. 
did not see his shadow. So no. six or early early spring here. What what's the accuracy of this? I don't. How can it be accurate at all? They literally grab a <laughs> groundhog, pull him out, and then like, oh, oh, oh he, he spoke to us. Look at this scroll. Yeah. And they read off this thing that he's. That's probably Sonic Scrooge, but I think it's dumb. But hey, whatever makes people happy, I mean, believe what you want to believe. That is James there, Scrooge there, Boyd here on this Friday morning in for Andy Sweeney. Well, I mean, is yeah. it even the same groundhog? It's no, just like, no. Oh, wait. Well, no, it's we're like, on like, yeah, this is like, you know, Butler Blue or, you know, <laughs> what, what's what's the Georgia dog? Yeah. <laughs> there was one a couple years ago where he died, and I'm like, well, if that's like. A prophecy that's not very good like yeah that, that can't bl- be that can't be ideal do we have a blizzard in late february <laughs> that year i'm starting to look and this is very premature but if you look at your weather app here again the worst app on the entire phone the apple weather app i'm seeing temps very high late into next week fingers crossed that will bleed into the next week as the nba all-star game of course those well, look, festivities i take it back i take it back start coming up what two weeks from tonight rising stars game Yep, right? I think Benedict Mathern will be participating. Sure. Uh huh. Yeah, I saw Jay Nivey from a local standpoint. I believe Oscar Shibway got one of the G League nominations for that as well. So we'll talk a little All Star coming up in the nine o'clock hour. Ebony Armstrong, one of the directors of events, uh, she'll share um, some I think events outside of just the big three. I think we all know about the big three, but what else can we see? You know, affordability is certainly a big question. So we'll do that coming up. At 9.30. Again, a rough one last night from the Pacers in the sense of it got away from them in the fourth quarter. They had a big lead throughout. They got pummeled on the offensive glass. And some questions about Tyrese Halliburton and the managing of those minutes. 22 minutes played. Again, I don't think the argument is much on how much he's playing. It's how you spread out those minutes. He did not play in the fourth quarter last night. The Pacers scored 21 points and that lead got away from him. We'll play some Rick Carlisle audio coming up. Uh, James, the name Isaiah Rogers has not been one on the forefront of my brain for quite some time. Again, James Boyd in today for Andy Sweeney. Uh, for those thinking Isaiah Rogers, yeah, what? Who is that again? Colts cornerback busted for betting on the NFL back in the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, sus- suspended by the league, I guess indefinitely. Right? Was yes. the first uh, announcement. The Colts ended up cutting him. He has since signed with the Eagles. Um, so if he gets reinstatement, he will be with Nick Sirianni and the Eagles. You know, looking back on it, and Isaiah had a bit of a tell-all yesterday and had a pretty hefty bet on one Jonathan Taylor, and we will explain more here in a few minutes. But when I saw this story yesterday, James, credit to the Indy Star for, for, for getting the excerpt from outside the lines, I was reminded just how much of a golden opportunity <laughs> Isaiah Rogers wasted this season for the Colts. What was arguably the Colts' biggest issue this season? Cornerback. Do you remember the Tony Brown game? Oh, my gosh. I do. I mean, I mean, he would have been a day one starter. Yes. And he actually probably would have been pretty good. I mean, we can talk about... I thought he had about, some nice moments. Yeah, he had some talent, and he showed some promise at the end of the 2022 season, whereas this season coming in, you had Daryl Baker Jr. starting, who probably isn't a starting caliber cornerback. Dallas Flowers. Yeah, there, there's no problem about Juju it, yeah. Brents. All those things. I mean, I think that you would have had a surefire every week starting cornerback in Isaiah Rogers. And sure, he still needed to you know cement himself. But again, I thought there were some nice moments from him in his first couple of years. Not only did the suspension and cut meant he forwent two point two million for the final year of his rookie deal. We. But think about you know what the contract year could have been like. I mean, this is a guy that, again, had made less than a million 
through his first three years, and as long as he had, I think, a nice season, I think he could have either been brought back here or brought back elsewhere. Um, so this clip, again, is from Outside the Lines, and Isaiah Rogers with a bit of a tell-all, and specifically he explains in here a $1,000 bet placed from his account on one Jonathan Taylor. Isaiah, why did you start betting on sports? I just trying to help friends and family out, just knowing that it wasn't legal at the time in Florida and it was in Indiana. So I was just really going about it of just trying to help them out and help them do things they couldn't do down here, which was illegal at the time. Isaiah, do you think you have a gambling problem? No, no. I know for sure I don't. Had you ever gambled before this experience? No. To be clear, you're saying you were placing bets on behalf of other people. Correct. It's been reported that you bet upwards of 100 times, mm-hmm. betting 25 to 50 bucks, including a bet or bets on your own team, yeah. the Colts at the time. Is that true? The 25 to $50 bets are exactly true, but it was more of crazy leg parlays with just $25 trying to make a crazy amount, like just funny bets, nothing too serious. It's just a huge mistake on my part. It was also reported that you placed a $1,000 prop bet on the over-under rushing yards, by which we presume was Jonathan Taylor. Yep. That's a bet you won. Is that report true? That report is true with it being $1,000, but that wasn't made from my device. During that time it was placed, I was actually on the field warming up for a game. So you're saying somebody else used your account to place that $1,000 bet on Jonathan Taylor's over-under rushing? That bet wasn't directly Isaiah Rogers placing that bet. Boy, quite the 2020 feel to that one there. John Barr from ESPN. It's like a true crime music. Outside the yeah, lines. Yeah, I'm about to say, what, what are we talking about here? When you, no, when, you throw in the, trunk? when you throw in the first name of, like, Isaiah, do you have a gambling problem? I always feel, oh, my gosh, I'm, like, on the edge of my seat watching that there. Uh, James, I guess that was the first time you've, you've heard that entire clip, correct? Yeah, first time. Okay, your just overall thoughts, reaction to that. When you ask someone if they have a gambling problem and he says no but there's hundreds of bets that were placed. You don't have a solution, at least not in that moment. So I don't know what to think about that. And also, I thought the answer about, you know, who placed the bet on JT. It wasn't me. I was on the field. It was someone else. But, okay, how did they know whether whether to bet the over or the under? And now this airs, I believe, actually it airs today, 7 a.m., and then, Later on, 2 p.m., the full thing, which I'm curious to watch, but I don't understand how someone else has access to your account if you were the one trying to place bets for them. It's just a lot of other things I need answered. I'll say that. Yeah, and uh, for those that watch the clip, I I, I hate to be the body language police. I, I didn't scream a lot of remorse in the face of Isaiah Rogers in that piece there. Um, We talked about this a little bit early in the show, but I think this is the question for the NFL moving forward. It's not necessarily like you're betting on your team win or loss. Isaiah Rodgers is what? You know, he's on the field for, you know, 20 some snaps in a game as a special teamer. Like there's so much control you can have. But it's this thing where Isaiah Rodgers is behind closed doors at practice Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. He sees the health of guys, he sees how involved they are in a game plan. 
He knows the game plan focus for that week on each side of the ball. And when you get into player prop bets, James, I guarantee you, you field a ton of questions on a weekly basis. Hey, man, thinking about Alec Pierce or other wideout this week, what do you think his role is going to be? Man, and it's crazy. People that I haven't talked to in years, parents of children I used to cover <laughs> in Northwest Indiana who... Remember that Crown Point Lowell game? Yeah, and they're like, hey, how you doing? And, you know, Johnny's doing well or whatever. And then they ask you who's starting. And so I can imagine that players get a ton of those same questions, but that's to me when you just have to draw that line. Is those $25, $50 bets, crazy leg parlays, or the $1,000 bets that someone placed on JT, is that worth the millions that you could make as a – at minimum, I think Isaiah Rodgers is a rotational cornerback in the NFL. And at maximum, he could be a starter, you know, given his, you know, athleticism, ball skills, all those things. Is that worth what you could make in the long term? And just, just your reputation, because that follows you. You're sure. viewed as someone who doesn't take anything serious when you clearly did not take it serious enough to not risk that, especially because of what happened to Calvin Ridley. Had that not happened before, I'll probably feel differently about Isaiah Rodgers and others, but you saw someone lose an entire season and then you come right back and you're, and then, and you know, not in the clip that was played, what I've read, he says, Oh, I just thought I could get away with that. I didn't think it was going to be, you know, a big deal. What? And, and that's the stupidity factor, James, that I just can't get away from. And I know that's kind of a harsh word to use. And I feel bad using it. Isaiah Rodgers always been, you know, a nice dude to me, but just knowing what was at stake and the risk that, you know, it, if you want to get technical here, James, it's not like he was, pro- I, I don't know, maybe he was. It's not like he's profiting off these bets. You know, it's not like he was, what, whatever, making money off of it. Um, yeah, I'll be very curious to see how just the general public reacts to the full outside the lines clip, yeah, I mean, as you said, and then, you know, if he gets reinstatement and what his future looks like with the Eagles. Here's a quote, again, attributed to Andy Star for getting the advanced copy of the you know, the tape or whatever, or the ESPN outside the lines report. But he says, I questioned myself too. I thought I were probably, I thought I probably wouldn't get caught. I wouldn't get in trouble. I was just being a good hearted person trying to help people. It will never happen again. Never. You thought you wouldn't get caught. I don't think people realize KB how FBI-ish the NFL can be. They don't play. Well, especially with this. They, At it, all. If we're going to partner in the gambling world, which the NFL has obviously opened yes. up that that massive Pandora's box here in the last couple of years, then there's going to be a lot of behind-the-scenes regulations that they will be able to very quickly decipher yeah. who and where and what these bets look so, like. And that's why you've seen you know, several players busted here over the last, whatever, 12 months or so. Yeah, I remember being on a Zoom call about this where they basically explained the NFL, that is, explained the rules of gambling to us, the media, as if we were players. And they were talking about how they geolocate your phones. And so they know where the phones are, where your phone is. Basically, if you're at the complex. Yeah, they know. You and can't bet, yeah. They know if you're, if you're doing it at your house. They know these things. And even if you know, you're at your home and someone places a bet on a game that you might be involved in, they're going to be asking, okay, whose phone is that? Like, that's how deep it goes. And so, again, to say, I thought I could get away with it, why or how did you think that? And I guess 
first off, I think the fact of just don't bet should be enough. Like, oh, absolutely. That, 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 that that's what EJ Speed said. Clear. He was like, I'm not, I'm yeah. not risking it. I just won't bet anything ever. And that's right. a smart approach, honestly. It's not worth e- it. EJ saying to that, uh, saying that to us right after the Rogers news came out. But if whatever, if it is, you know, it is tempting. I'm not going to lie. Like it, it, it it's got to be tempting for these <laughs> yeah. guys. So to your point, and I don't know the logistics behind this, but if you're the NFL, then you partner with all of these gambling apps, and to a degree, you say, all right. We need to geolocate to where these guys cannot even open their app up if they're at this location. Th- remove the NFL off of their gambling app. So when they open it up, sure, they want to bet on Butler Creighton tonight, have at it. They want to get Pacers Kings action Thank going, you. have at it. Like to me, it's it, it can be it, it can start to snowball into such a black eye for the NFL if these stories continue to be there and if they continue to grow that you need to save face. You need to get all get a handle on the public relations aspect to it because all of a sudden, if this goes two ways and Isaiah Rogers tells his buddy in Florida and says, hey, man, Taylor hasn't practiced all week. I know they list him as questionable. The guy, or they list him as limited. The guy does one rep and he's out. And then his buddy in Florida is plays with whatever. His good friend plays with the Bucks, and he's telling his Bucks defender, that that's where you lose the integrity, which I think the parody of the NFL is why it's so attractive to so many people. Absolutely. And I think to your point, when you mentioned that there were bets placed on the NFL games, that's the one thing that you can't bet on. Unlike other employees of the Colts in the NFL, players can bet on other right. leagues. But if you work in the Colts ticketing department, exactly, you cannot bet like, even on the Masters or March Madness. Exactly. And I know our listeners know JJ Stefanski. Lara Overton, like, they don't have a chance to bet on anything. Right. And they're not even athletes. Yeah. So they can't even bet on, you know, an IU game or something Matt like Taylor's that. Matt Taylor's not betting on Trey Galloway's over-under. Exactly. And so, again, I think when you're given sort of that leeway, it does sort of open up Pandora's box because you could just say don't bet on anything, but the players will never, at least I don't think that they would agree to that. And I think, you know, I have to go back and read about it or look at my old stuff, but – I don't even think there's like a concrete rule in place where there's like some players have to be allowed to bet on other things. It's like this sort of head nod agreement that, okay, we'll let them bet on other things other than the NFL if that makes them more, I guess, happy, if that makes sense. So um, it is, to me, it just seems like a very dumb thing to do because of all the eyes and attention on you and because... I mean, if there's anyone they're going to make an exception for, it's not going to be Isaiah Rogers. I mean, we'll see if it ever happens with a star player. It hasn't happened to that degree yet. Right, Calvin Ridley, probably the biggest name. Probably James the biggest Williams name. Williams, maybe, would fall exactly. on but, that list. I don't know, man. And it also speaks to just the era of gambling and how it is ingrained in our society now. Like, I don't think – I'm 28. When I was in college, we weren't, like, betting a ton – I mean, there were a couple of bets you were making, stuff like that. But now I think that it's just like normal. Right. And you kind of grow up in that. And if you notice, the people who usually get caught up with this stuff in the NFL are never like, you know, 33-year-old veterans. They're usually younger guys who have just gotten into the NFL and probably are used to betting just throughout their, you know, adolescence and in early adulthood to the point where they're like, oh, wait, I can't do that anymore. So... Tough. If you're looking to bet tonight on the Pacers-Kings game, Kings are a slight <laughs> favorite in that one. Mark, if you don't mind, let's cue up that Rick Carlisle clip again. I know it's a little bit of a long one, but easily the most popular question. And again, 
to me, the Pacers lost last night, James, because they just got beat the you-know-what on the glass. They just got dominated in getting to loose balls, offensive rebounds, 24 of them for the Knicks last night. But the other question was, where was Tyrese Halliburton in the fourth quarter? Uh, 22 minutes again for him, staggered throughout the first, second, and third. He exited midway through the third, just like Tuesday night, did not re-enter the game. It was a very, I would say, frustrated and confused Rick Carlisle last night when Dustin DePierak tried to ask him why no fourth quarter minutes for Tyrese. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about minutes, but he's he's doing well. If I could ask real quick, like he obviously hasn't come back in the fourth every time. Is that kind of a same thing? Is it just because of him sitting after the third, not wanting to get the hamstring back up? We're day we're day to day, and you know, where I'm not going to talk about you know minute um, minute restrictions or minute limits before any game. That would be foolish. And you understand. I mean, right, I wouldn't ask you before. I was asking after seeing. No, but you're asking about tomorrow. And no, I'm, not. I'm just asking. I'm asking about tonight. I'm asking about tonight. I'm asking. Yeah, there's a range of minutes, you know, for tonight, and he was firmly at that range, and so it's it's almost identical to the first night. Um, but that's it. So you know, um, he's progressing. He's doing well, but you know, I you you never know. Um, until the next day, you know. So we got to travel home and, and all that. We got a game tomorrow. So, you know, we'll see where we are tomorrow with him. And we got some other guys that are a little banged up too. Again, pretty confused Rick Carlisle last night, I think, and what Dustin was asking him just specifically. If you look at the 22 minutes, James, it's not the number of minutes. It's more of can you take the, the different segments? You know, he plays six minutes here and he plays four minutes here and he plays six here. Can you take one of those? And can you put one of those in the fourth quarter? Because if you look at it last night, you could make certainly a case that among the offensive rebounding issues, that was a big issue not having your star out there. Yeah, you needed your closer. I think that that honestly felt like a playoff game, at least the end of it. And when the game slows down, you need your dude to just be better than the other dude sometimes. And obviously there's scheme involved, plays, but a lot of times just watching NBA over the years, it comes down to – we can give the ball to our dude and he can lead us home. You can't do that the entire game because it's just not sustainable for a lot of players, you know, outside of some of the, you know, greatest who ever played the game. But when it's winning time, you need Halliburton in there to close it. And I just feel like they didn't have the opportunity last night. Get very interested to see what the playtime looks like for him on a back to back and how they do stagger those minutes if they change things up at all coming tonight. Uh, the rare occurrence where I think Mike Woodson, Matt Painter, and Micah Shrewsbury were all in the same high school gym here in Indiana last night. No one better to ask than Greg Rakestraw about that. We'll do that next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. All right, 8 o'clock hour here to round out the week. Kevin Bowen, James Boyd in for Andy Sweeney and Mark Dykton. Our next guest, I, I'd probably be foolish to act like he has any if, or I should say many if any nights off, but I would assume last night was maybe one of the rare Thursday night boys high school nights that he was working. It's girls sectionals this weekend, so Greg Rakestraw, I'm going to guess at a boys game last night. Rake, is that correct? Lawrence North and Carmel and LN losing for the first time this season. That is correct, sir. So Carmel's turned it around here as of late. 
Big time. Uh, they just beat back-to-back teams that were ranked number one that were undefeated in terms of Fishers and Lawrence North, uh, which says a lot about Carmel. It also says a lot about the season in boys' basketball. Other way to look at last night is that both the county champs and the city champs lost. Addicts lost at Brownsburg last night, 49-44. So this is truly shaping up to be a sectionals getting into the month of March where I think anything can happen. And while there is a definitive um, you know, set of teams that I think that are better than most, another result that certainly deserves discussion is Kokomo thumped Cathedral last night, won by 17 up in Kokomo. And that's big because you know Kokomo kind of has a chance to play a good amount of the indie area schools in terms of these one-off events and special games, the Hall of Fame Classic. You know, that took place in November and December. They don't have as many of those chances on their schedule in January and February. So I thought that was a big win for Kokomo last night as well. So last month of the season is now underway, and uh, I think carnage you know, could happen by the time we get to February the 27th. So, Greg, I had a chance to kind of stalk you at the Hall of Fame Classic a few weeks ago <laughs> <laughs> when you were in action. And for those who haven't seen This was Lori, allowed, I would hope. Yeah, yes, it was allowed. Okay. Uh, well, allowed by me, put it like that. <laughs> I didn't really ask for permission. I don't think stalkers do that. <laughs> but... Um, Flory, obviously he is an extreme talent, but what have you seen from him just character-wise? Because I was very impressed with how he carried himself in those games and probably throughout the season considering that he does get beat up a lot and he still will not lose it like most high schools probably would. He is such a great kid. He smiles so much more than most other top-level players. (laughs) Um, There are times when I almost would say – He's too good of a kid sometimes out there on the floor. In other words, it's okay for him to be more aggressive and look for his own shot, but he rarely takes a bad shot because of that. And when we'd have these conversations last year, I would tell people, listen, as a shot blocker, as a rebounder, and as a passer, he is a major Division One talent now. The offensive game is still a work in progress. And I remember, and I, and I don't know if it was one of the Hall of Fame games or one of the games, I think it was one of the Phil Cox games that I did, their tournament that was played the weekend before, and he hits a 15-foot jump shot. And I think I said on the air basically some variation of, looks like Happy learned how to putt. Uh-oh. <laughs> and, and, and that's, you know, he had, a, he had a beautiful post move. I saw a couple of highlights from last night's game for about a 10-foot shot, had his signature dunk or dunks as he always had. Um, again, I, I think Mr. Basketball is a two-man race, and I'm not sure it's really a two-man race. Jack Benner's really good. I think it should be Flory Badunga uh, that, that wins Mr. Basketball. He is a tremendous player, and he's a really good kid. He's someone that, unless he's playing against your team, I think he's very easy to root for. <laughs> Good, Greg Rakestraw is with us here, ISC Sports Network. A lot of boys' games last night, high school-wise. Girls' sectional weekend is here. Rake, uh, I, I'm sure the Thursday night aspect had something to do with it, but there were various reports out there that down in southern Indiana at Heritage Hills last night, and I hope I'm saying the last name right, is it Sisley? You got it. Okay, Trent Sisley, all right. Uh, top 50 kid in the junior class for their game against Boonville. You had Mike Woodson, Matt Painter, and Micah Shrewsbury all in <laughs> the building. Obviously, these dudes recruit a lot. Obviously, they are in person a lot. I would say it's probably pretty rare that the schedules have matched up to where 
the three, and again, I say major, you know, Butler certainly could probably call themselves sure. that as well. But to have those three head coaches in one gym, let alone it be at Heritage Hills, I'm going to guess that hasn't happened too often in the history of the state. The last time that I think those the coaches of those three schools got together, Bob Knight, Gene Cady, and Digger Phelps were filming a Coca-Cola commercial. I think, the last <laughs> time that, that happened. Um, I mean, it, you're right. Uh, but it also shows you how good that kid is. And again, the, the the junior class in this state is just stupid good. You've got Sisley, you've got Mullins, and Mike Woodson was was visiting Braylon Mullins at Greenfield Central early this week. I mean, he had 51 in a game last Friday night. He was one of the IBC players of the year, or the week, I should say. Um, you know, Xavier Robinson, the Lawrence North Point guard, who in even in the defeat for LN last night, he had... Uh, I want to say 20 or 22 points, I, th- I think, at the conclusion uh, of that game last night. So, and, and there's others. You know, there, there's a player named, you know, Maximus, or Max is the older brother, Julius Gizzi. Um, I saw him last Wednesday. He had 36 of New Pals, 48. So there's player after player like that in the junior class in the state of Indiana. And Sisley is amongst the tops of that group. Uh, Dad played at Southeast Missouri. Older brother spent time at both Evansville and Wright State. Um, he can really play. Are we talking like a little? I, I don't know. Gordon Haywardy feel to his game. How would you? How would you kind of describe him? You know, modern players they're they're also well rounded. You know that that's again going back to Florida. It's part of what has made his development unique. In that you know because we've literally seen him learn to play the game from an offensive standpoint while he's in high school. You know he's not a great three point shooter. Everybody else, whether you're five nine or six nine, you know, probably has some level of an outside game. So he is an inside out player, and there is something to, you know, again having older brother and dad be high level players as well, because the lab is your backyard, and and you're always having to go up against great competition and bigger competition from a young age going forward. So he does a little bit of everything in his game. So, Greg, I have to ask, how legit is Lawrence North girls? Because I saw them play early in the year. They smacked Stephen Thomas, head coach. Yeah, Bedford North Lawrence, um, the defending state champ in 4A, I believe. But how legit are they? Because I was very impressed with what I saw early on from them. They've been playing pretty well this year, obviously. And they just seem to have a team full of dogs is how I would describe it. They are outstanding, and they could be done by the end of the night because they're playing number one LC this evening. And that is the game that we're going to showcase on ISC and my Indie TV from the Kevin Bowen Gymnasium at Cathedral High School. They've named it after you at this point, right? Oh, yeah. yeah oh, exactly. yeah. yeah. Legend. I think they named like one of the uh, maybe the stalls after me. <laughs> Something about I think your name was written on a wall someplace there. Sure. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, those two teams are both top ten. And, and JB, you're absolutely correct. I, had, I saw LM play two weeks ago when they beat Hamilton Southeastern, who was one of the best teams in the state, and number one at that time, LC has that ranking now. A, it's LC and LN. You know, there are a few rivalries like that one in the area where it's the two township schools going at it, and normally your season is based on how you do against that team. LC is the first-time Marion County champs. LC is looking for a first sectional title since 87 and a second in program history. They, too, have a ridiculously talented team, not as deep as Lawrence North. Most of, of their talent is concentrated in their starters, but with the Lampley sisters, Layla Abdur-Rakib, their point guard, they can really play. When the two teams have gotten together, 
in the Marion County Tournament and their regular season game January the 11th, the combined margin of victory for LC in those two games has been five points. If you go back to last year, the last four times they have played, the combined margin of victory has been seven points. So both the LC and LN girls are outstanding, and they play each other tonight at 7.30 at Cathedral High School. That is a juicy, juicy one here on ISC. Again, Greg Rakestraw will have the call on that one. Rake, I want to shift gears a little bit here. I think it's the, and I don't know, we might have another one in March, but I think it's fair to say we're going to get the Missouri Valley game of the year tomorrow night in Terre Haute, and we're going to get the Big Ten game of the year Sunday in Madison. Um, Again, Purdue and Wisconsin, they meet again, and for Indiana State and Drake, it is a rematch, but these two games are monumental. Let's start with the one in Terre Haute. Um, A win for Indiana State means what? resume-wise, and a loss to Drake, a season sweep by Drake, would mean what to Indiana State? Well, first of all, just to compare the two games, you're right, they're massive, but the ramifications are so much bigger for the game on Saturday. Purdue and Wisconsin are going to be NCAA tournament teams. Um, Purdue would have to be on a free fall to not be a number one seed at this point. And again, what's really important for Purdue, winning the Big Ten is nice, Winning the Big Ten tournament is nice, but it's being the number one seed that goes through Indianapolis and has that tournament path of Indianapolis, then to Detroit. That's what Purdue's playing for at this point. In terms of Indiana State and Drake, they're both good enough where they're starting to get conversations about not having to win Arch Madness to be a tournament team. Um, And obviously, I, I think Drake, because they won the first meeting, has a little more wiggle room on that front than does Indiana State. Um, It's not impossible if Indiana State loses to Drake and then, say, wins out and then maybe loses to them again in the the Missouri Valley Tournament, maybe, maybe they're an at-large team, and they are helped by the fact that the Big Ten is down this year. They're helped by the fact that the ACC is down this year. They're helped by the fact that the Pac-12 is so bad they're not going to exist next year. Um, and so that helps Indiana State's cause. Winning against Drake goes a heck of a long way to being the Missouri Valley Conference regular season champion and, again, would be as impressive as a win as they have on their resume. So I, I think their chances of being a, an at-large team are helped significantly by a win on Saturday, but I think both the staffs, Indiana State and Drake, would tell you they're not exactly banking on getting a large bid. They know they have to win three consecutive games in St. Louis that first weekend in March to probably be NCAA tournament ready. So, Greg, I want to wrap up here with a team that is very famous here in Indiana, the Milan 1954 (laughs) team, which was well before I was born, but you're going to be moderating their 70th Anniversary of that championship game, Bobby Plump, the Milan Miracle, all those things. How honored are you to always be a part of those moments and, and maybe commemorating those moments for a basketball crazed state that obviously is going to hold host All Star Weekend here in a couple weeks? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm 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 thrilled. Um, and there was one event that I couldn't do about seven years ago that was the 30th anniversary of the movie that was obviously spawned by the Milan Miracle in Hoosiers. And I got an ask from the folks at the Hoosier gym, hey, we're doing this 30th anniversary get-together. We want you to be the MC." And it was on a Saturday night in September, and I had an Indy 11 game. 
and I finished the conversation with, hey, please, you know, ask me for in the future, because as soon as this phone call is over, 10 year old me is going to kick my butt. <laughs> um, and so kind of a similar thing here. And I, and I use that 10 year old reference because that's the age that I was when Hoosiers came out. And so that's when I kind of learned about the story of Milan. And so, you know, growing up here in Indiana, you know, everybody, because of the movie especially, now learns about Milan and Bobby Plump and Ray Kraft and the story that keeps on going. And so I am I'm honored to be asked to, uh, you know, kind of MC this event. This is going to be a day-long celebration in Milan. And in addition to, you know, the high school and the gymnasium, which is where the ceremony will take place at 11 o'clock, the, a big part of the impetus behind this is to raise more awareness for the Milan Museum. There is a museum dedicated in that town to everything that occurred in that 54 season. And then a lot of Hoosiers memorabilia has ended up in that museum as well. Milan54.org is where you can find out more. But there will be a, a panel discussion very much several noted speakers, either that will be there in person or will be sending in video tributes. So um, trust me, I'll see the guy that's in charge of keeping the trains moving. I am far from the star attraction that will be there that day. And that is the date that normally would be the boys' state finals. But because of the NCAA first and second rounds being at Gambridge Fieldhouse, that is the week break in the high school tournament. So we'll play the semi-states. March 16th, state finals won't take place until March 30th. That'll also be the day in between the NCAA tournament action. So it's a Friday-Sunday site is Indianapolis. So on Saturday, if you're looking for something to do, make the trip south on I-74, uh, go to the Milan exit, which I think is exit 156, hang a right, you'll be there in about 10 minutes, and just look for the crowds because I'm pretty sure we're going to triple the population of Milan <laughs> on that Saturday afternoon. Rick, I'm so lucky um, to be married to Maddie Lubbers, but the one time that I didn't necessarily feel an immense amount of pride in that was when we got a flat tire um, last year just south of that exit you mentioned, and as we're calling around to various, you know, hey, we need help pouring down rain on 74, um, she pronounced it as, uh, we are just south of the Milan exit. <laughs> Look, I had to learn the Hobart... Hobart thing, oh man, yeah. it was yeah. It, it has to. If, if we ever have questions, there, we just contact. Just remember, <laughs> you know, James with a very region problem that everybody in the region knows how to say. But those of us, you know, once you go to college with somebody from Hobart, that sticks in your brain. Yep, going old forward. Brickies. But when in doubt, Hoosierize the pronunciation. <laughs> Milan for sales. Dubois County, especially south of US 50, that is always the play. That is very, very smart advice there from the one and only, the National Broadcaster of the Year, uh, or the Indiana Broadcaster of the Year. That is great. Rake Star. Rake, have a great one tonight, uh, LNLC. And as always, man, enjoy these Friday conversations. Thank you. You got it. And JB, you are not stalking me. It's always cool when you follow me to high school basketball <laughs> games. No problem with that whatsoever. Much appreciated. Thanks, Rake. That is the one and only Greg Rakestraw right there. I don't know if you caught this yesterday, James. Did you see um, Victor Oladipo got traded? I did see that, and one of the things that made me laugh about it was the tweet that I saw related to that was, this was 10 years ago, this would have been, or 8 years ago, this would have been like 
all over Sports Center, and now it's like just this footnote thing that everyone just kind of sees and keeps scrolling. Has he turned into like the contract that just gets traded? Probably, I would say at this point. You know, I, I feel like we have some of those in the NBA where it's like, oh, here's a guy that can match a, a, a contract. That is now the third time he has been traded since July. Yeah, he was acquired by the Thunder in July from the Heat, then was traded to the Rockets in October, uh, and then yesterday traded to the Grizzlies, who are kind of now looking towards next year yeah. with all their injuries and John Moran out for the year. Stephen Adams to the Rockets, who actually have played a little bit better than I think a lot of people thought. But, yeah, the Victor Oladipo, I mean, you just talk about injuries, how much you hate injuries. I mean, yeah. He's the poster. I mean, he just got traded for a guy who hasn't played this year. And it's solely for money. Obviously, the, the, the second-round picks and things like that. But well, I don't think Victor's played either, right? No, but I don't think it's because of injury, is it? I would have to look, honestly. I have not kept up with Victor Oladipo very much, to be honest with you. He had like a patellant injury. But I do was... know that that Steven Adams is out for the year with a knee injury. Right, so right. it is crazy to see the downfall. And honestly, when I was going through some of the All-Star History with Halliburton being a start and all those things. I was looking through. I'm like, wow, yeah, Oladipo was that dude. It was like a two or three year stretch where he was just amazing. And obviously, sports can kind of be cruel that way, where you are on top one moment and then you look up and it's like, dang, where'd the time go? Thinking back to those Pacers, he and, uh, team. He and Derek Rose could have some stories together. Seriously, yeah, they're on the same team now. Yeah, that's great. It's just oh, also like, what? I, I totally are we in the Matrix? When the Pacers played the Grizzlies the other night and they showed the bench, I'm like, wow, there's Derek Rose. Yeah. Yep. Uh, speaking of those Pacers teams with Oladipo, DeMontis Sabonis in the building tonight. I guess Chris Duarte, are we getting a Chris Duarte tribute video tonight? Okay, so here's my hot take on tribute videos. I think you should just do them all to troll. Ooh. So, <laughs> I like trolling. I think, I I like think that videos. I think that you, you, you put out Chris Duarte's. You put lowlights instead of highlights in there? Uh, I'm not that bogus. I'll put highlights in there. If you're going to go, you got to go all the way. But you, yeah, you know what? You know me. I like Petty. So I'm like the eighth man on the roster. You know, I'm like taking off like the snap offs and everything like that. And just waiting by the bench to get I mean, in. Honestly, the, all the all the Duarte stuff, it's probably from like his first few weeks of his NBA I was going to say, yeah. he was that first month? Yeah. I remember he had the huge shot against the Lakers where he sent it to overtime and he had the, you know, hot start to his career, kind of tapered off. I think he's happy over there with the Kings. It seems like it, but. I don't it would be a funny. Super consistent role for him. No, no. It was more so like, can we just get a insurance person basically right. on the wing for us? A guy goes down. Can he step in and make a few shots? He probably can, but there was always that like, he's not going to reach that next level sort of label on him because of the age and things like that. So um, we'll see. But I think they should play his tribute video. After the bonuses, because obviously he was the key to this whole thing happening. Sure. Uh, Trey Lyles, of course, <laughs> back in town as well, uh, the tech product. So um, always a game that you get these one a year, the West Coast team or the Western Conference teams coming here, but the Kings have kind of been the Pacers from the West. Can Indiana beat Sacramento in that first matchup, but how the Pacers look tonight on the second night of a back-to-back with a little bit of travel, certainly. The Kings were right here in Indy. Uh, last night they did not play. Um, I think that's why I believe I saw three-and-a-half-point favorite 
the Kings that makes sense. in that one. Speaking of the Pacers, I would call it a disappointing road loss. Not something you typically say, but I would call it that. Let's lead off our morning check down with that. Talk a little NFL with Ross Tucker coming up in about 10 minutes so as we are a week and in two days out from the Super Bowl. But as of last night, or as last night unfolded, it looked like the Pacers would get a road win in Madison Square Garden, taking advantage of a Knicks team down three starters and four of their top, probably seven or eight. Uh, but man, they just got pummeled last night on the glass. And really, James, as much as the 24 offensive rebound sticks out, I just felt like they got to every this is New York. They got to every single 50-50 loose ball. Um I, I was watching it and you know, as frustrated as you are watching it, I also was like, damn, I got a lot of respect for how the Knicks play. Sure, Jalen Brunson had 40, uh, but they simply just out hustled and outworked Indiana. Yeah, and that's what it came down to, I felt like, in those last few minutes where obviously having their closer helped, like I said earlier on the show, but when you just have guys who are getting to every loose ball, that matters. And I think one of the guys who stood out to me in that vein was Josh Hart. He was over six from the field, but he had 12 rebounds. Yeah. That matters. Three of them were offensive. Had a lot of 50 50 ball. Exactly. Hartenstein 19 rebounds, eight offensive rebounds for him. So those eight three, offensive rebounds. Look, those three Achua had the Pacers, right? Yeah. Hart, Achua, and Hartenstein. It's unbelievable. I'm looking. Achua had 16 rebounds. Eight of them were offensive rebounds. And again, I go back to the shooting percentage. They won a game where they shot 39% from the field because they got 10 more shot attempts than the other team. That matters in a pro league, obviously, where if you just get more cracks at it, you're going to make something. And so I felt like that was a game where the Pacers feel frustrated because even with the minutes restrictions and things like that, they were right there and were winning for most of the game and should have closed it out. But I felt like the Knicks just kind of outgritted them to a dub. Yeah, the old saying of, you know, you, the team that works harder gets rewarded. That was certainly apparent last night. Here was Rick Carlisle afterwards on the poor, poor effort on the glass. Yeah, we got uh, we got bullied on the glass, and uh, it's disappointing because we're we're a very capable rebounding team, and it's this is the main thing that we talked about with this game, and so um, you know we 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 failed. Uh, on the boards for sure, and it's obviously the difference in the game because you know we we held them to a, a low shooting number, a low three number. Um, you know, I, we didn't turn them over that much, but the rebounding, you know, that's that ball's in the air, <laughs> ball's in the air, and it's anybody's ball. And so we just we've got to find a way. We've got to want it more. Uh, Buddy Heald, terrible last night. Uh, how the Pacers handle him with the trade deadline coming up on Thursday, I think it'll be something to watch. He has not shot it well over the last few weeks. Miles Turner, very poor. And I thought probably Pascal Siakam's worst game of the season. Uh, well under 50% shooting and five turnovers for him. All right, college basketball. It is a big-time slate this weekend. Let's start with tonight in Omaha. That'll be Butler at Creighton. Nine-and-a-half-point underdogs are the dogs. They have not played since the double overtime win over Villanova. Again, we mentioned it on yesterday's show. If you look at Joe Lenardi, he's got Butler kind of as not the first four out, but kind of in that next four out. Uh, very important for Butler to try and get. Really, if they could get one of these next two, that would be massive. It is at Creighton tonight. 
and then at UConn coming up next week. They are a nine and a half point underdog in this one. Indiana Penn State, that's FS1 tomorrow at noon. Our coverage will begin on WIBC at 11. Uh, the injury watch, that is the big thing. IU has certainly played much better here over the last couple of games, but the health of Xavier Johnson, the health of Malik Renu, uh, even Khalil Ware, who was hobbling around on Wednesday night or Tuesday night, whenever that game was, it sounded like the early returns on Renu and, and Johnson were not too, too severe, but again, still nothing official on that end. And then the two big ones locally this weekend. Indiana State hosting Drake. If you had not watched the Sycamores this year, you're going to get an opportunity. ESPN 2, 6 o'clock. This is a rematch from the one Missouri Valley loss this season for Indiana State. Really looking forward to that one. And James on Sunday, Purdue at Wisconsin, a 1 o'clock tip. Did you see the court storm in Lincoln last night as the Badgers blew it? I did, and I do think that this game Sunday is going to be a really good one. And... I mean, that's what you want. You know, you want these early, at least personally, I love a good marquee game at like 1 o'clock. And we're going to get it. Iron Eagle on the call, which <laughs> yeah. I love that. The final four uh, play-by-play man for this year, taking over mm-hmm. from Jim Nance. He was on with JMV yesterday. He will be on the call, I believe. I think it's Rafferty with him. So, that you know, that's a pretty A crew you're going to get. Again, CBS coming up on Sunday at 1 o'clock. <laughs> Lastly, we'll probably toss this to Ross Tucker here coming up on the other side. But, James, we did see the final head coaching job get filled, and that is Dan Quinn, I guess staying in the division, but leaving the Cowboys and becoming the head man of the Washington Commanders. So if you look at this cycle, Ben Johnson, Aaron Glenn, Bill Belichick, Mike Vrabel, you know, Bobby Slowick in Houston became kind of a hot name. Eight different hirings, none of those five find a job. You most surprised by who on that list? Probably Mike Rabel, because I think that he's sort of like the player's coach, um, still sort of like a modern guy. I was not too surprised with the Bill Belichick being left out just because of his approach, his age, those factors maybe sure. working against him. I would but agree with that. I thought Mike Rabel would walk out of one job into another. Yeah, Seriously. I, I, I was surprised by that as well. So... I mean, unless we get a surprise with an Andy Reid in a retirement or something like that, uh, it looks like those five names, you could have probably won a lot of money if you would have bet on some of them uh, to not get a head coaching job here this cycle. All right, on the other side, one of our favorites, Ross Tucker. He joins us next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. So we look ahead to the Super Bowl. Get some more Colts stuff coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. And again, more on the Tyrese Halliburton handling of his minutes. Rick Carlisle, a bit head-scratching last night listening to some of those comments. Pacers-Kings coming up tonight at 7.30. Again, James Boyd in for Andy Sweeney as we close out this Friday. And we look ahead to a week from today and certainly a week from Sunday and Super Bowl 58 with one of our favorites. He is the host of the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. You can find him on social at Ross Tucker NFL. And he was on the sidelines for CBS and Westwood One for the AFC title game. And Ross joins us now. Ross, good Friday morning to you, man. Thanks for the time. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. Always good to talk with you guys. Thanks for having me. Let's rewind to Sunday in Baltimore. I I thought Kansas City set the tone from the deferring to the three and out to Travis Kelsey's come to play with the fourth and 
I think it was a fourth and two maybe, and then obviously the opening drive touchdown. What did you think in particular about just the start of that game, a little chippy pregame, and how Kansas City kind of told Baltimore, yeah, we are, we are here to play? No doubt about it. And they kind of took the crowd out of it, which I thought was really important because the week before the Texans had five false starts. And actually, there had been 19 in Baltimore this year, a league high. And there's no doubt they set the tone. Physically, too. I mean, the Ravens tried to run a couple times. They got stuffed. It's almost like they got spooked. And at least those first couple drives, the Chiefs were able to run it pretty well with Pacheco, too. It was a lot of Pacheco and a lot of Kelsey. And what happened with those first two drives, at least from my perspective, it felt like they were sort of able to get the Ravens out of their game. And that's the thing that would bother me so much if I was a Ravens player is that it's like they didn't lose doing what they do best. You know, everybody loses games, but you kind of want to go down doing your thing. I had Greg Cosell, the NFL Films legend, on the Raw Sucker Football Podcast yesterday, do you know that the Ravens were 63% three wide receivers in the game? Mm. I mean, that, they're a team that had a lot of two tight end sets, a lot of 21 personnel, which is Ricard, the big fullback and a tight end. They went out of character. And by the way, the receivers are the worst part of the Ravens offense, and the corners might be the best part of the Chiefs defense. So what are we even doing? I mean, what, like, and no designed runs for Lamar Jackson. They had one, and he popped it. I, I was, uh, and I'm a big Todd Munkin fan, and I talked to him for a while before the game. I would love to know, like, what the logic was or why they did what they did, because I, I don't understand it other than, you know, the Chiefs scored the first two drives, and maybe they thought, oh, boy, it's going to be a shootout. Or maybe it's because they were down by whatever it was, 10 at halftime, and they're like, oh, man, we're down by two scores. It just felt like they totally got out of character. Ross, you are preaching the good gospel here this Friday because this is what I was yelling at my TV um, the other day. (laughs) But I do want to ask, they still had to face a Chiefs team that I think at this point, you just can never count out if they have Patrick Mahomes back there throwing the ball. Can you maybe speak to what we're seeing from him relative to what is defined as greatness in the NFL? I don't know if we've ever seen this before where a guy this young has been this successful outside of Tom Brady, but just seeing this maybe modern version of it and maybe even a souped-up version of him as an individual being able to run and throw. Well, there's no question that Mahomes is off to the best start of any quarterback in NFL history. Now, in terms of, like, I see these people talking about the greatest of all time. Well, listen, he's got a long way to go (laughs) with Brady. I mean, Brady gets you on the longevity. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is if you think about it, Brady did it with, like, three different groups of people. Right. You know, he did it with like Vrabel and McGinnis and those guys and won three Super Bowls. Then he did it with Gronk and Edelman and won three Super Bowls. And then he went to Tampa and won one. So I'll be curious to see what 
Mahomes can still do when Kelsey's gone, because that's coming soon at some point. And then I don't know how much longer Andy Reid's going to do it. So Mahomes might have to try to catch Brady without Andy Reid and Travis Kelsey, to which I would say, you know, good luck, because that's going to be really, really tough to do. Although the flip side is, and I know you guys talk about receivers there in India a lot, isn't it wild that everybody wants like a star receiver? They're paying them like 25 mil a year now. The Chiefs really traded the best receiver in the league, and they're going, and they might win the Super Bowl two years in a row after they're doing that. I mean, that's like, think about that for a second. But no, he's off to the greatest start of any quarterback ever. And I was in New England in 05 and 06 till Belichick traded me to Cleveland. And uh, the Chiefs are giving me serious Patriots vibes in the sense that twofold. Number one, it just feels like the teams that they play in the playoffs do dumb stuff or, or have like the critical error that you can't have. And they never do, you know, the chiefs never do, but the other team they're playing, you know, they flowers will get it punched out or, you know, Bass will miss the field goal and stuff. Doesn't happen to the chiefs. It happens to the other team. Same with the Patriots, Lee Evans dropping the ball or, Cundiff misses the field goal or whatever. Um, so it reminds me of that quite a bit. And then, you know, I, I know what it was like, guys, to be in New England. When you have a quarterback like Mahomes or Brady, it's just hard to describe. Like, you know you're going to win the game. When you have, I had, I had a good quarterback in Buffalo. I started a bunch of games there with Bledsoe. He was good. And we thought we were going to win the game. And then I had some guys that were not that great. And you're kind of hoping to win the game. But when you have a guy like everybody on that team, when they took the field in Baltimore, they fully expected and knew they were going to win the game because they got the guy. And I don't know if it's conscious or subconscious, but I can't tell you the effect that has on the entire organization when you got the guy. Like, we have the guy. We, we have the guy at the most important position. They don't. We're going to win. They're going to lose. Yeah, when third and nine rolled around to ice the game, I didn't sit there and say, man, I wonder if they're going to pick it up. I just thought, okay, how will they pick it up? Because I know they're going to do it. <laughs> it's just more of the how and not the if they will. He is Ross Tucker, one of our favorites. Can host the Ross Tucker podcast. Follow him on social at Ross Tucker NFL. I want to shift gears to, we saw Dan Quinn uh, with Washington. So now, you know, unless Andy Reid you know, decides to retire, we've got all eight openings filled. Uh, if I ask for your two favorite. What are your two favorite matches for new head coaches and their respective teams? Ooh, good question. Really good question. I got to kind of think of them in my head now a I little can, bit. I, I can rattle them off for our audience. You got Jim Harbaugh with the Chargers. No, no, I know, I know, I know okay. most of them. I, I, I like, I like Harbaugh a lot. Um, you know, you guys probably know this. He's a really strange guy. <laughs> Yes, we know that quite well. He's a really, really strange guy. And, you know, not that there's anything wrong with that, but uh, he's been successful wherever he's been. It's hard to argue against him. And honestly, I guess I like the fit because they have a quarterback. Everybody's like, oh, what do you think was the best job? What, What are we even talking about? You know, all the guys that got fired, if you look at it, New England, Washington, Atlanta, Carolina, uh, Raider. I mean, everywhere you're looking, they didn't have a top 20 quarterback. And the reality is, if you don't have a top 20 quarterback, you don't have much of a chance 
You're probably going to get fired. So for Harbaugh to go somewhere where they have an unquestioned top 10 guy, I mean, that's pretty good. You know, an unquestioned top 10 guy in Justin Herbert, that seems pretty good to me. So I think that's a good fit. The other guy that I, I just think is awesome is Mike McDonald in Seattle. You know, I mean, I know the Chiefs went down and scored two touchdowns the first two drives. Guys, how about them after that? They got three points. And they got three. We're talking about how we're singing his praises, how great Mahomes is, all that stuff. They got three points the entire rest of the game against Mike McDonald. I thought that was really impressive. The adjustments he made. Uh, I, I did a, a couple of Ravens games, talked to him before the game. I, I think that guy's a home run for Seattle. So I would say we'll go off to the West Coast, Seattle and the and the Chargers. Ross, I'm going to pivot here to the other team that's going to be in the Super Bowl, to the 49ers. And I can hear the excitement in your voice about football, which is awesome to hear. It feels like you probably just go back out there and play or something like that. But I do want to ask, not the Brock Purdy, is he a game manager question, because that's annoying, but – did we see him grow up in that game against Detroit where maybe things weren't going his way, but obviously it just felt like he was the best player on the field there when it mattered the most? Yeah, so what I would say about Purdy is, and it's interesting because I have um, Greg Cosell, the NFL Films legend. He's on, he's on my podcast, the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, every single Thursday. And he even said, you know, Guys, Purdy didn't play real well. And even late in the game, he made plays with his legs, but he didn't play very well. So I guess the, the, the bad news is he hasn't played particularly well the, the last couple games in the playoffs. The good news is they're still winning, and he plays his best when it matters the most at the end of the game. That's a really good quality. You know, I, I know some people don't like – wins as a quarterback stat, which I always laugh at. Like, what's the goal, first of all? <laughs> and if we're going to have wins and losses for head coaches, who do you think has more to do with whether you win or lose the game, the head coach or the quarterback? I mean, look, look at how much they get paid. The, the, the teams think it's the quarterback. I think it's the quarterback. I mean, if you could give me an average coach and a great quarterback, I would take that over a great coach and an average quarterback any day of the week. So I'm okay with them having the win-loss record attached to their name. And Purdy has has made winning plays late in these games, whereas some guys don't. And we saw Lamar Jackson. I love Lamar Jackson. That was one of the worst playoff interceptions I've ever seen in my life. Like with everything going on, you're down by 10. You're going to throw the ball into triple coverage like that on second down. So I think Purdy, uh, even though he hasn't played his best, He's going to have to play his best against the Chiefs, but at least you know that he's clutch and that he can make play his best at the end. Ross, do you believe in Groundhog's Day? Do I believe in Groundhog Day? Yeah, aren't you? Um, are you? Do you live in Philly? I guess. Um, no, I live in Pennsylvania, and actually, my wife and some of my buddies have been to Groundhog Day in Punxsutawney. I don't know if you guys know. But they just drink all night and stay up all night until the <laughs> groundhog comes out first thing in the morning. Like everybody there is totally hammered. <laughs> I didn't know this. <laughs> Neither did I. It's like the biggest party ever. 
I would love to go sometime. My wife went to Bucknell with some of my high school buddies, which is not that far, so they went one time. No, I don't believe in the Groundhog. I will say this, Groundhog Day is a top ten movie of all time. I, I, I love Bill I Murray, and I love that movie. God, that is outstanding insight we're getting from Ross Tucker on and off the field. No shadow, <laughs> by the way, for old Phil on this uh, February 2nd. Uh, all right, last one for me, Ross, and I always enjoy it again. Ross Tucker hosts the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. You can follow him on social at Ross Tucker NFL. One storyline, one key to a week from Sunday, the front four of San Francisco, how they handle Kelsey, you know, wherever you want to go. What is the one storyline atop the rest for you? All right, so before I forget, I'm going to get called by Baltimore in a second, and I want to make sure all of your listeners get the best Valentine's Day gift ever. It's called MyFrontPageStory.com. It's unbelievable. Like, we're pathetic as men. We, We just are. I literally said to my wife last night, should we just use one of the gift cards I got you for Christmas and go out to dinner for Valentine's Day? Like, how pathetic is that? Love to see the I look on use her the face. Christmas gift card for Valentine's Day. That's why you got to go to myfrontpagestory.com. Both of you guys, I'm telling you, you talk to one of their writers for 10 minutes on the phone while you're driving home from work or whatever. It's called Steak and Shake out there. And you tell them how great your significant other is. They write this story. It looks like it's on the cover of the newspaper. It's like framed pictures, cover the indie star. And here's the key. At least once every five years, you got to change it up. Don't be like me. Give it to your wife or whoever and just say, honey, I want to do something special this year. So I had a story written about you. That's my biggest storyline. Baltimore's calling me right now. My biggest storyline for the Super Bowl is when I talked to Travis Kelsey before the game, I should have given him a free My Front Page story to give to Taylor Swift. I'd be rich and never have to talk to any of you people again. MyFrontPageStory.com. MyFrontPageStory.com. Ross, have a great weekend. Thank you. See you, dude. Ross Tucker, I don't know about the steak and shake slander. I don't know about that either. I feel like that's... 54th and Keystone steak and shake. Went there a few weeks ago. Unreal. I'm like, hey, it it gets you through. And I know steak and shakes are hanging on by a thread. Unreal. There, Ross Tucker on that one. I will say this. I'm not sure that Taylor Swift is really going to be taken aback by myfrontpagestory.com. Although, <laughs> I do think this would be a cool gift for like normal people, but Taylor Swift has been on the front page of actual newspapers for basically breathing. So I think that she's probably used to the attention. I think that's probably an accurate statement on that end. Uh, if I had to throw that at you, biggest storyline. I'm kind of torn between that front four of San Francisco. You know, I mean, they invested a lot. I mean, the Chase Young trade we saw yeah. this year, I thought he was really poor in the NFC title game. And then just two weeks to somewhat neutralize Kelsey. I mean, Kelsey had 11 catches for uh, on 11 targets every time Holmes threw his way. And it's not like it was dink and dunk. So yeah. those would probably be the two I'd go to. I, you could probably go Purdy. You could probably go a, a lot of ways. I want to ask you this before I give you my answer. Do you think this run could cement Travis Kelsey as the best tight end ever? If he has a huge game in the Super Bowl, gets the three rings, the numbers he has passing Jerry Rice or playoff catches, is he the best? So my attention was drawn towards Twitter here as you asked that question, James Boyd, because this is maybe a storyline for a handful of months ago. But uh, remember our good friend Jonathan Taylor's agent, Malki Kawa? Yes. This man has just posted a picture of him and Chris Ballard together at the Senior Bowl. (laughs) At one point we thought, do these two even talk? I don't know. Maybe it was more of the Jim Irsay-Malki Kawa relationship more than anything. But Malki tweets here again, the agent to Jonathan Taylor, the agent... To Shaq Leonard. 
Uh, he tweets this, one of the toughest negotiations was this year with Jonathan Taylor and the Colts. Everyone asks, what's your relationship like with the team? This is Chris Ballard and 30 minutes after senior bowl practices, just chopping it up, talking life, ball, etc. We've become good friends. How about that? Well, I'd love all of my friends to make sure that my clients get paid and I get a big <laughs> chunk of that. So, <laughs> Well, no, I mean... It it does seem to, like night and day. To answer your question, yeah, I think uh, we got actually got in this debate with Jake yesterday after the show. We were hanging around here to record an interview for next week, and um, Jimmy Cook, of course, you know, heavily defending Kelsey, and and and, and Jake, you know, more of a yeah. I think Grant, Kellen Winslow were the two names. I do think longevity certainly matters, but if you're just talking, you know, Gronk was a hell of a blocker. But if you talk just strictly the best receiving tight end in history, to me, there's no debate. It is Kelsey. Now, I, I didn't think the position's changed a whole lot. But yeah. still, I mean, it, there is, there's no debate in my mind that it is Kelsey. So uh, we'll have an interview with a player in the Super Bowl coming up next week. So we recorded that uh, yesterday afternoon. Figured we got a lot to focus on today. It's pretty untime sensitive. So uh, yeah. we'll, we'll uh, toss that your way coming up. Next week. All right, some things I still want to get to with James Boyd. Again, he is in for Andy Actually, I'll answer your question. Two two storylines real quick. Do we put Brock Purdy in the in that conversation if they win the Super Bowl? In that conversation, I mean, do we just – if he wins Super Bowl MVP, how does that change the narrative about him? I think that would be a huge one. And then secondly, I feel like Christian McCaffrey has sort of been like – not overlooked, but to me, he's the best player on their team. And – does he finally get his just due in the Super Bowl if he has another like two touchdown performance or something like that? Because obviously we know all the storylines with the Kansas City Chiefs, if they win, Dynasty, all those things. However, Christian McCaffrey to me is like a perfect football player. And I just wonder if he'll get his just due with another big game and obviously a Super Bowl victory. Were you covering the Colts when the Panthers came here for those joint practices? I was not, but I've heard things yeah. about that man. I, to me, he's the best football player I've ever seen in person. I mean, just watching him no weaknesses. on that practice field, it was it was insane, really, to watch him go about and just his quickness and yeah, it was um, it was quite the sight to see. Um, all right, coming up in the nine o'clock hour, do want to get to if you guys have missed it, Rick Carlisle's comments in regards to Tyrese Halliburton and the minute management as we look ahead to Pacers and Kings tonight, seven thirty inside of Gamebridge Fieldhouse, but also a couple Colts conversations. I know James has been still active here in the offseason on that. What does he think is most likely with Michael Pittman Jr.? How pressing of a need is tight end? We'll do that coming up on the other side as well. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Mark Dykton slowing it down here for Phil on Groundhog's Day, right? Yeah. Is that the thought well, there? slow down because the song's called Out of Time by the weekend, by the way. So we're out of time because we're up against the clock, but also, you know, Slow down and avoid those potholes that are slowly getting repaired. James Boyd, I know uh, you've probably encountered a few. I drive looking down in Indy more Literally. than any other city. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I said it's a, what I would imagine about as exhilarating as Indianapolis 500 being there for the opening laps, <laughs> trying to guess where the new potholes will be. Uh, safe travels to anyone out there this weekend. It does look like pretty nice weather. Again, James Boyd in for Andy Sweeney. Today, Mark Dykin, of course, on the ones and twos. We'll certainly focus on some Colts conversation on the other side um, and, and hopefully play that Tyrese Halliburton audio. W- would you guess 22 minutes again tonight for him? It was Tuesday night, 22 minutes, 
exits midway through the third. 22 minutes last night, exits midway through the third. Now we have a back-to-back here. Do you think it's 22 minutes, and do you think we still see him leave the game midway through the third quarter? I honestly do think that, especially because of the back-to-back, you don't want to overdo it. He does have to play at least 20 minutes to get credit for the game played with the whole 65-game minimum thing, so he'll play 20 minutes. But I don't see this changing after you know flying from New York back to Indy and then preparing for a game 24 hours later. I just don't see how you can change too much of what you've already planned. And I would imagine that a ton of planning has already went into this stretch of the season or the stretch of his recovery. So to just see him, for example, go out there and play 30 minutes, I would be shocked if that happened. The Kings 27-19. and 19. The Pacers beat them a couple weeks ago out in Sacramento. Since then, they won four straight and then lost on Wednesday night to Miami. No back-to-back for them. Keegan Murray at 33 the other night. De'Aaron Fox, Demontis Sabonis. How about Sabonis having 26 rebounds the other night? I think that would have been the entire total for the Pacers last night. Uh, a couple guys probably pretty motivated tonight, both of them. Uh, you could probably write down, uh, certainly Sabonis is an all-star snub uh, for the Western Conference team. All right, we'll get into some Colts topics here on the other side. It's James Boyd and for Andy Sweeney. I'm Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykta. All right, final hour of the week. It is the wake-up call here. Myself, Kevin Bowen, Andy Sweeney out today. James Boyd filling in for M. Mark Dykton, of course, on the ones and twos. You're going to be in the building tonight, James, Pacers-Kings, is that correct? Yes, sir. Three-and-a-half-point spread last I saw. Again, pretty interested to see not only how the Pacers respond, but Halliburton's minutes. And as we start to get an inch closer to the trade deadline, man, Buddy Heald is in quite a slump. If you look at really his last couple of weeks, man, there's been, I want to say five of his last seven games, three points or less. There was a three last night. It was like a clean look he got. It had a better chance to bank in. Yeah, it went off the backboard. I saw that top of the key, I believe. And a great shooter like that, you just he does not miss those like that. He's in a rut, honestly. And Ben Shepard's eaten into some of those minutes for him. Yeah, and and Rick talked about that recently about how he's forcing their hand because he's so active. And he brings you a little bit more on defense with his hands, this loose ball steals. He I plays like with energy. Yeah. yeah. I know maybe it doesn't show up in the stat sheet, but you just watch him out there. I'm like, all right, this guy is going to have a a spot, I think, for a pretty legit NBA team. Again, for those that missed it, we'll play some Carlisle audio coming up here in a bit on exactly the distribution of those 22 minutes for Tyrese Halliburton and how the Pacers have divvied that up here in his two games back. I do want to get into some Colts conversation. We had Nate Atkins from the Star on earlier this week, James, and honestly, it's probably a conversation that we would have had in the media room and just to give everybody a little update on schedule-wise, February 20th begins a two-week window where you can apply the franchise tag to anybody. Uh, And then March 13th, so March 5th is when that window ends, March 13th is the beginning of free agency. If I said to you, Michael Pittman will be franchise tagged and then a longer deal off of that, Michael Pittman will receive a long-term contract that he likes and will sign before free agency begins on March 13th, or Michael Pittman will get to the open market. He will become a free agent. No tag, no long-term deal on March 13th. Of those three, the tag, long-term deal later, long-term deal now, or he hits the open market, which three do you agree with? 
Give me door number one. And I say this because this is how I envision negotiations going. Just hear me out. Pittman's going to be like, hey, I want four years, $100 million. And the Colts are going to be like, that's too high. And he's going to be like, well, I'm not signing for anything less than that. And they're like, okay, we're, gonna, we're just going to tag you. And the tag is projected to be at about $22 million. And so I think they'll go back to the drawing board after he gets tagged, which guarantees there'll be a Colts uniform for 2024. And then we look at something like, okay, $90 million, four years, and maybe 45 to 50 guaranteed. And that gets the job done. And they get the long-term deal done after he gets tagged. So I would just say, everyone out there, if Pittman gets tagged, this will not be, in my opinion, some second year in a row version of what happened with JT. It's an entirely different position and it's much more valued in football. And I don't think it's going to be as contentious if it happens. Like Pittman is well aware of what the franchise tag does for him and how much more it is compared to like a running back. You know, I, um, I wrote something on Pittman earlier this week and I posted it and, and I kind of teased the story with the, what would plan B be if Pittman does not, come back just out of curiosity I, I don't think you know if we had this conversation this time last year James I think the percentage would be higher of people that were still skeptical on Michael Pittman right. Jr. long I agree with that long term I think that percentage is pretty low but I was curious okay for those out there and, and feel free to chime in right now at K Bowen 1070 James I should know your Twitter handle off the top of at my head Romeoville kid oh yeah of course at Romeoville kid on Twitter, that on, is Kevin. totally on me for some reason. I'm like, wait, did he, did he change the athletic and his, and his uh, Twitter handle? <laughs> um, but I, I'm a, I am interested for those that don't want to do the long term deal with Pittman. What do you consider the alternative? A, a, a person or yeah. two had mentioned Mike Evans to me yesterday. You know, again, you got to have Mike Evans get to free agency. You got to have T Higgins get to free agency if those are some of the names. And then you obviously have got to win any sort of bidding war with him. And in Evans' case, um, there's obviously a big age difference. Now, I thought Evans looked outstanding this Ooh, season. Oh, yes. But still, um, you know, in terms of pairing him up with a young quarterback, I don't know if that's happening for all, all four years of a deal. So have you heard any decent, like, hey, no, 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 hear me out, man. Plan B would look like this, and you kind of nod your head and say, all right, I can somewhat listen to it. Cause I really I haven't. Because anybody who says that Pittman shouldn't be paid or they should move on from him are people who I don't think understand that, yes, he is not Tyreek Hill or C.D. Lamb or a top-tier number one receiver, but he is number one, and that matters. And I think just common sense would tell you, you keep playmakers around Anthony Richardson. You don't make his job harder coming into his second year, which where he's still very raw and very inexperienced, you don't make it harder by taking away his top target. And somebody who is very sure-handed, he's sort of your homegrown talent, so to speak. You drafted him. You reward that guy. And then other people see, okay, they made they made sure to do right by their guy. And to Pittman's credit, he doesn't miss games. No. He complained that one time about not getting the ball, yeah. and then he came right back and, and owned it and, and faced the music about that and how maybe he was a little bit irrational in his thinking. But He's tough as hell. I, exactly. So I, I think all of those things matter. And if he's not a number, a top five receiver, if he's top 12, that's still really good in today's NFL, and it matters. So I don't see any scenario where he's not playing for the Colts next season. And so, And I don't even know if he wants to really – 
I know he probably wants to test free agency because who wouldn't? Because you, you get the highest bidder that way. But he's not. It's not the NBA, man. He's not going to reach unrestricted free agency. It's just not realistic. Uh, we were talking tight ends a little bit earlier. Again, James Boyd from the Athletic in Studio today with us at Romeoville Kid. Thank you, on, thank you. Uh, Twitter. <laughs> um, we were talking tight ends a little bit ago. Travis Kelsey, and if you just looked at these four Final Four teams, all of them had a marquee tight end. Yeah. Um, there's there, there's no debating that Sam Laporta, Mark Andrews, George Kittle, and of course Kelsey. You wrote on tight ends, I believe, yesterday earlier in the week. I'll start here. When we spoke with Chris Bauer, I guess about a month ago, a little bit less than a month ago, I don't remember tight end coming up one time in the 50-minute press conference. Now, I don't know if any of us specifically asked about the position, right? but we asked him in different ways, what do you think are areas for improvement, where does your roster need bolstering, et cetera, et cetera. And the closest thing he mentioned was just we need to get more explosive. So let me start there. There's no free agents to tight end on this roster. How do you think Ballard views that position? Because that's where I'm kind of torn on it. Because ultimately, that's that's what really matters. Yeah, I agree. I that's he the has qu- decisions to make, which we can kind of get into. Like, I mean, off on and off the field. Yeah, those are the questions that we have to have answered to really give our answer. But I do think that the reason I wrote this story was because of the Brock Bowers hype and a lot of the conversation around him. And I was like, okay, let's just play I guess make believe and because I don't think he's going to be on the board at 15 quite frankly because if he's that good of a player I do think that at some point the best player available will kick in a lot earlier than 15 but he would in my opinion kind of solve a lot of their problems at tight end or maybe fill some voids because he can do it all in one person whereas right now it feels like they have a collection of tight ends who are good at different things but you have to maybe do some 12 personnel instead of maybe standing maybe more 11 because you need multiple guys out there to do multiple different things. Like Colin Granson is the receiving tight end. Mo Ali Cox is the bigger, maybe blocking tight end. He has had some moments this past season where he had some, some big catches. I will admit that. Well, Mallory, I think he showed some promise there, but you don't have a guy who's had it all together. And obviously Drew Ogletree, who I think was probably the, the, the most – talented this year of all the tight ends now we know it's off-field issues and I I, I was intrigued by him yeah and, and but now because of the you know domestic violence charges his future with the franchise the commission is a court date coming up in a few weeks yes court date I believe is on Valentine's Day oh, the 14th and so That's awkward again those are things that you have to consider and I asked you know Chris Ballard that directly he said I'm not gonna get into his future with the team none of those things which I understand but it wouldn't be obviously surprising if they cut ties with him whenever this legal matter you know, comes to an end. All that to say, you still have Jelani Woods, who was out the entire season, who everyone was really high on coming into this year. Do you trust that he can be healthy and he can be your guy? Or do you look at you know, how realistic it is to possibly get Brock Bowers? Because to me, if he's there at 15, Kevin, you just run to the podium and you say the pick is in. You don't need all those minutes. Yes. Like you don't need all those minutes to be just deciding what, what's next you pick him. And I think that he's the only player that I would honestly consider even taking as far as tight end go that early in the draft. Yeah. Tight end for me is, it's not priority number one. No, no, no. But but it's, it's, it's a position that you can upgrade certainly. And it's just, it's a group of a bunch of probably twos and threes. And that's I'm what I think. Curious the future with Mo Ali Cox. You want to talk about saving a little money? 
You could do that. You by could. cutting ties with him here. Now he still played a role for you this season. Um, but I'll go back to a conversation Andy and I had earlier in the week, and it's probably harder to find this sort of player at tight end, but it certainly can be found at wideout. James, this time last year, I was screaming for, and I've made the basketball analogy, and probably some listeners are tired of it. I said, all right, enough power forwards in that wideout room. You got enough big dudes. Go get a point guard. Go get a shooting guard. And Josh Downs, to me, is kind of like that. You know, he he compliments, he diversifies agree with that. that room. Now, what that room needs, and just the pass-catching room needs in general, they need dudes that, here is the football, you go make a play. The throw does not need to be 30 yards down the field. It can be dick and dunk. It could be a screen. It could be a little crosser for six or seven. And now you turn six or seven into 17. And I think it's very uh, obvious if you look at San Francisco and Debo Samuel leading the league in Ooh, yards man. after catch for any wideout. George Kittle leads all tight ends in yards after catch. That to me is what, if you can go out and if there is a guy that you feel like fits that, I think Bowers would qualify as that certainly. Yes. Um, you, to use the word you use, run, I would say sprint to that board, um, especially if he's a difference maker in that specific element. Because I, I'm also a fan of edge rusher, and I think the scarcity of the draft depth of that spot is why I probably put it atop the board. Having said that, if you can show me a dude that can break tackles and can make plays after the catch, uh, even in that Atlanta game, think back to that Falcons game. I mean, the Colts' inability to tackle against some very talented guys in B. John Robinson and company, that costs... And it's not like Taylor Heineke was chucking it 30 yards down the field no. creating big plays. It was your, inbil- your inability to wrap up. So uh, that, to me, I think is an area specifically if you're looking at the skill set that I'd be looking into. Yeah, I agree with that as well. There are some holes. Obviously, another big hole would just be the defensive secondary. You have to upgrade there. And I would honestly say right now, and I would have to look is at— Is Kenny Moore a definite resign for you? For me, yes. Is Julian Blackman? Yes, I think those two are probably one, two of the easier re-signs outside of Michael Pittman Jr. I do think that Blackman's the one that I'm curious. I, I like him a lot, but that is a position that I feel like in past years, James, whether it was Roddy McLeod, you know, Mike Mitchell going back to his playing days, they've found kind of the one-year stopgap. I don't love it, but again, if you're gonna, right. you know, you, you got to pinch a little bit at some. That's spots. true, but I'm my thing is, I'm curious to know how much he would actually come in on the open market too, though. Because of the injury history. it's a good point. So I don't know if other teams are going to be jumping to land him because he was having a great season and then he he ended it on IR again. And so that's the tough break for him. We did talk to Ballard about him. He said at the time of his season-ending press conference that he didn't believe that Blackman would need surgery. But either way, I think they have to be confident in his just ability to hold up for – another 17 games next season, obviously the playoffs, if they make it that far, which is their goal. So I think Blackman, Moore, you bring those guys back. But what do you think is the most likely scenario possibly for their first pick at number 15? Because I I still... I'm not opposed to cornerback. Yeah. In my opinion, it'd be edge rusher, it'd be pass catcher, and then it'd be corner. That would be my ranking of it. I... Corner could use something, certainly. But there is part of me that's like, all right, Juju Brents, Jalen Jones, Dallas Flowers. It's probably unfair to group Flowers in there. But I almost think, what if you took a corner like in round three? Right. So then you you know, you, you, you put a rookie corner in there, you throw in jo- – honestly, corner might even be a free agent move. Um, that's kind of how I look at it. Just because, again, I think as we move forward in future drafts, James – 
I think there will continue to be an abundance of wideouts and even corners. I think the seven on seven influx of football will continue to mean that the draft depth is going to see less trench guys and more wideouts and more corners. And so that to me is why you kind of can wait on some depth at some spots and attack some of the areas that aren't as depthful, if that's even a word. Yeah, Jim Nagy raised a good point too, though, and he runs the Senior Bowl. He was talking about how NIL has kind of decimated the back end of the draft yeah, with got a guys, lot of guys that have come back. Look at all the Ohio State exactly. Guys that have come back. Yeah. And so, in my mind, I'm like, do you are you sure that you can get a guy in round three, four, or five? Well, like you know, help Ballard you hates that thought. Ballard hates the thought of less picks. <laughs> and I think what 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 you're well, getting look, at is not it's not about quantity. It's about get a few more quality. Exactly. And look, I'm not opposed to him getting rid of some picks because I I mean as much as I love you guys, Kevin, <laughs> I don't like to be in <laughs> the media room at West Fifty oh Fifth Street where we're just there all day. I had never experienced that in my life before. And now I'm looking at the NBA's doing a two-day thing, and I'm like, what are you guys doing? Well, see, I, I now like that because in late June, we have nothing on the sports calendar. So spread out the draft two days. Fair enough. If it helps you, Kevin Bowen, Can you I imagine, agree. Uh, Mark, if we would have gotten the solo day talk of Trace Jackson Davis? No, that would stink. No, that would have been great. <laughs> we could have focused on the Jairus Walker and that focus on uh, day one of the draft, and then... I mean, Trace fell. The Pacers passed on him a couple times. All that drama. His agent said this. His agent said that. All right, I am all for the NBA draft being spread out over two days. What else are you going to do in late June? Yeah. Well, the Cubs got the Pirates in a four-game set. <laughs> hey, the, J, we haven't talked about Joel Erickson's probably in shambles because the Brewers all that Corbin Burns got trade. rid of their ace Corbin Burns and sent him to Baltimore. Yeah. Jake's Orioles. James knew we were going to go baseball talk. You probably would have sat this one out here. No, it's fine. On this I mean, Friday morning. This was like another language for me, but I <laughs> will. Anything that makes Joel upset, Joel, you know I love you. I'm, I'm probably all for it, though, right. because we, we, needle, we needle each other a lot in the media room. Riled up Joel Erickson is a sight. To see. Yes. I think Nick has a great take here. He, he chimes in. He goes, thoughts on Pittman uh, should be to tag him, try and resign him, and in addition, go after a T. Higgins or a Mike Evans. The notion that we can survive on him uh, on just him is a little bit crazy, but him I not being a top tier one and pairing him with a top tier two or another one is intriguing. But obviously, that's going to be costly. Right. I was going to say, here's my counterpoint: like you throw a big bag of money at Michael Pittman Jr., you have to throw a big bag of money, or at least a big-ish bag of money, at Mike Evans or T. Higgins. Does Chris Ballard of all people do that? No, no. I mean, th- no. You like, would say no. He has to change. I think at some point this offseason because. You're trying to build a winner right now as opposed to down the line, which is what I think the plan was. I think all of us thought this would be like a two- to three-year sort of plan with Anthony Richardson. Now it's like, win right now. It's it's a two-year plan, and, and it's only been two years because he got hurt in the first year. So all that to say, I do think they're going to be a bit more aggressive in free agency, but to see two wide receivers get paid by the Colts, I mean, yeah, it would I have mean, to be Groundhog is, Day yeah, again. Hell's freezing <laughs> over. Animals of the zoo are flying in the air that shouldn't be. I mean, they've said that the wide receiver group in this year's draft is just loaded. So I could see them re-signing Michael Pittman exactly. Jr. and then Round going two, that route. Something along right. those That's lines. That's what I think is more realistic. Plus, it's also worth pointing out here, if you look at you know, Ballard operating this offseason, two things are different. One, the presence of Shane Steichen. I don't think we can overlook that. I don't think it should be overlooked. Two, again, he's got a rookie contract quarterback. And if you look at the finances of how much Anthony Richardson's making, it is bottom level of starting quarterbacks in the league. 
You know, he, he, I think Andy or Andy, sorry, <laughs> James. I think he's making like a little over. <laughs> I'm shocked it took till nine twenty for me to uh, for me to do that. Uh, he's making a little over two million this year. Yeah, and I think like half the starting QBs in the league make at least ten million. So you cannot pass up these opportunities to do things. Yeah, I mean outside the, of the box. The only other like really cost effective quarterback that's playing really well is probably Brock Purdy. I mean, obviously CJ Stroud's on a rookie deal, but I mean nobody's cheaper than Brock Purdy, but you're not gonna get any cheaper than Anthony Richardson is right now. So get, yeah, I mean look. you do have to consider, okay, how can we build a winner and contender in that window? Because as we've seen it now, you just mentioned T. Higgins, Cincinnati sort of missed their opportunity. Now I won't say missed because it's hard to win a Super Bowl. They got to one Super Bowl, which I think is commendable obviously, but now to get back to one they have to restructure a lot of different things, which I'm on a tangent, but it makes the Patrick Mahomes deal just look greater and greater every single day because they have the best player in football, and he's basically on a discounted deal. Speaking of restructuring, I'm curious the minutes for Tyrese Halliburton tonight and how that restructure, if any, will look. Um, yeah. I, I want to make sure we play this ty- this um, Rick Carlisle clip from last night. Again, back and forth with him and Dustin DePirac. I, I a tad awkward. I don't think Rick fully understood. Maybe he didn't even want to go down the question that Dustin was asking. But uh, to refresh everybody on what the minutes have looked like for Halliburton since he's come back. 22 minutes on Tuesday. 22 minutes on Thursday. In both of those games, his final time on the floor was at the midway point of the third quarter. So he's played like 16 minutes in each of these first halves, which is a notable number. Then he plays the first six minutes of the third quarter and that's it. And it didn't matter if the Pacers had a, a nice lead like they had last night or if they were down a lot uh, like they were against Boston. Now, Rick did tell us on Tuesday that they will gradually bring Tyrese along, but I think there is a legitimate question not to have over the amount of minutes. 22 to me seems fine in the early on process. It's more of how you scatter those minutes, how you stagger those minutes, because last night the Pacers scored 21 in the fourth. Thoroughly outplayed, and Halliburton's in sweats for the entire entire final period. So again, a tad awkward here. Rick Carlisle, Dustin Depierak, back and forth from last night. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about minutes, but he's he's doing well. If I could ask real quick, Dustin, like he obviously hasn't come back in the fourth every time. Is that kind of a standard thing? Is it just because of him sitting out for the third, not wanting to get the hamstring back? Up? We're day we're we're day to day, and you know, where I'm not going to talk about you know minute. Um, minute restrictions or minute limits before any game. That would be foolish. And you understand. I mean, right, I wouldn't ask you before. I was asking after seeing No, but you're asking about tomorrow. And no, I'm, I'm just asking. I'm asking about tonight. I'm asking about tonight. Asking. Yeah, there's a range of minutes, you know, for tonight. And he was firmly at that range. And so it's, it's almost identical to the first night. Um, but that's it. So, you know, um, He's progressing. He's doing well, but you know, I, you you never know um, until the next day. You know, so we got to travel home and, and all that. We got a game tomorrow, so you know we'll see where we are tomorrow. And that was where Carlisle post game in Madison Square Garden last night. James, I mentioned this earlier in the show. I feel like such an idiot when I try to I don't know question medical decisions. And Tyrese did say. You know, he thinks medically, he understood Dustin's question a little bit more. He said, you know, he feels like that is why he's not playing in the fourth quarter. I guess where I'm, and I was texting back and forth with Will Carroll, the injury expert last night, to get a better gauge on this. 
I guess I'm a little confused by the, if it is him staying warm, I would think one of the coldest, I put that in quotes, parts of a night for Halliburton would be that first six-minute stretch of the third quarter. Right after halftime. And he's playing that, but then... So then he's rewarmed for back of a for for lack of a better term, and then he doesn't play the rest of the game. So again, the medical people certainly probably know much. Certainly no, I shouldn't even say probably know much more than I do. But I'm a little confused why he can't take one of the segments in the second or first quarter and put that into the fourth quarter. Yeah, I saw someone on Twitter ask me last night, why don't you just bring him off the bench? That way he can use his 22 minutes, you know, just a later in the game, but. Yeah, stationary bike it to start, and then yeah, I'm not sure, and I'm sure there's a lot of research that goes into this, which will make me look even dumber for even questioning the decision. However, just big picture wise, whatever you have to do to get him healthy, because should he even play tonight is probably a fair question. That's I mean, a fair question. Sounds like he will, but that's a fair question. But at some point, you do, you would like to see him turn a corner, and maybe. The the approach is we just take it easy before the All Star break. Right, right. Keep it under thirty until the All Star break. Yeah, and I then think tonight's the only back to back between now and the All Star break. Exactly, and then you tell them at All Star weekend, like I, I get it, you're hosting, and you're probably you probably want to play a ton of minutes. It's the first time as a starter, but brother, eight minutes and you sit yeah. down mm-hmm. and you know you take a few shots. You don't go scoreless. I no. will say that. Don't Pull go from scoreless. the volleyball line. Yep, and yeah. Get a couple, uh, you know, maybe just a, a, a dunk or something like that where – because they don't play any defense at all in the, in the All-Star game. So you get it, go coast to coast, dunk it, everyone goes crazy. Oh, you're the first starter since Paul George and all that stuff. And you sit down because his health is obviously a huge piece of the puzzle when it comes to this team, where they can go. And you want to have all of your top horses healthy for what looks like – what was already going to be a playoff team, but now – like I told you and others, I think that when you traded for Siakam, you were like, we're not just getting in the playoffs. We're trying to win a round. And so none of that can happen if you're dealing with an, a nagging left hamstring injury, which, again, on a tangent, he should get credit for the game that he played where he got hurt in. That bothers me. Can you can you explain this for, yes. for our audience out there that doesn't know? Because so, you have written about, again, the 65-game rule. Yeah. And so... For the 65 games, you have to play a minimum of 20 minutes. But they give you two games where you can play under 20 minutes, but there has to be 15 minutes. In the game where Halliburton initially pulled his hamstring, he played 13 minutes. Against Boston, yeah. Against Boston. So it doesn't count as one of the 65 games towards the All-NBA and obviously towards the huge payday. We did the numbers with the new salary cap projections. It will be roughly $40 million right now, which is still a ton of money. But... I'm just bothered by that because he legitimately tried to play in a game. He got hurt, and he's not getting credit for it. That doesn't make any sense to me. Now, I do have to do some more research on this. I don't know if he can appeal that, if he can ask the league, like, what, what's going on? Will it even come to that? I'm not sure. Obviously, he has a little bit of more of a buffer with, I believe, four games now that he can miss a maximum of and still be eligible for All-NBA. But I think for him or any other player, there shouldn't be something where you get punished for playing legitimate yeah. basketball and getting hurt. I don't really care if it's yeah. in the last minute or the first minute. Would you, would you want to be on like the cart where he's got like the one leg up and he's just going down the court like to get those final two minutes? Yeah, it just well, bothers me because I'm like, wait a second. He This this rule's put in place for load management and resting stars, and Halliburton has never been that guy. And so I feel like he's being punished for what other guys did to maybe you know, put a middle finger up to the league like, ah, I don't feel like playing tonight. 
He's never been that guy. I'll have to double check this, but were you at the Sixers game last Thursday by chance? Yes, I was there. Okay, so Joel Embiid goes down, and I remember jotting it down. I, I, I did too. I want to say there was like four minutes to go in the first half. I did too. And I'd be curious, James, at that point, how many minutes he had played. And if that was at all on his mind. If he's at 12 or 13 minutes, then he's thinking to himself, oh, geez, I got to stay in until 15 minutes. And again, like... This seems like such stupid stuff for these guys to have to worry about. I, I'm, I've heard a couple of ideas that I can listen to. Somebody has mentioned to me, each player gets five games of load management a year. You ask no questions. It's like PTO. You ask no questions. You let them take it, and however they need to, fine. But then once you get to your five, then you've reached your your limit, per se. Another person has said, if you're missing an extended period of time, like let's say Embiid's going to be out a month now. Once he gets through like the first four games, it stops counting. Like he he's legitimately hurt. He's not load managing for four straight nights, <laughs> right? So you have like a little bit of a I don't know like a buffer period there. I just have not heard, and we're hoping to have Adam Silver on coming up here before the All Star game, maybe ten days from now. Oh, okay. Just keep your like eyes this. out. For all that. right, all right. February twelfth. Um, you know, it's a question I want to throw him because I don't know. I get wanting to limit the load management, but how do you go about that in an accurate way and how everybody tell the truth? That's true, because I do think that there are instances Why should the where, Pacers risk it tonight with Halliburton? I mean... If indeed you are feeling like you're risking it. The difference between him and Embiid, other than Embiid obviously being up for back-to-back MVPs, is that Embiid has already made his you know sure, super max sure. money and all that. So, and I get it. And I don't want to, you know, to listeners out there understand a lot of you might be listening to us at work or in your car on the way to work and we're making a lot less money than those guys. I know I am. However, I think all of us would be inclined to put our maybe health at risk for an extra $40 million, no matter how rich you are. And so that's kind of how I look at it. And I think in a way this is good for the league to have the Halliburton situation, to have the MB situation, because it makes you reevaluate what matters because, you know, for example, the in-season tournament championship counts as a game played where, you know, in my mind, I just don't know what value there is in it. Obviously, then just entertainment. What if you go out there and you get hurt in that game? Right. I, I was glad then to see, and we had Scott Agnes on yesterday talk about that. I was glad to see the NBA say, yeah. all right, that is a game that will count to one of the 65. But nothing else counts as well. Like, and I get that you can't have the seeding or the or the win-loss count, but there's also just the stats itself. Like, why play a game where the stats right. don't matter yeah. at all? Then like, Matter Mather have like 20-something. Yeah, they're game. just like, lost in the history that. of time. Sure. I don't get that. So, I know I'm kind of ranting a little bit, but I do think that there is going to be some more evaluation of this. But the bottom line is you want your stars to play and – there are instances where it just still doesn't work. You know, you had Anthony Davis and LeBron James miss a game against the Boston Celtics, which the Celtics lost, by the way, in prime time. So there's some nuance to be had there. But overall, I think the rule is probably necessary with the NBA because there was a time where you're like, man, why is this guy just sitting? What is going on? But now maybe there was maybe a bit of overcorrection where it's hurting guys who are legitimately just injured and can't play. It is Freebie Friday for the pop quiz, so that is a Jiffy Lube oil change coming your way. Give us a call, 317-239-1070 for that. Uh, And we also have Ebony Armstrong coming up here in a few minutes to talk 
about the director. Uh, she is the director of events for NBA All-Star Weekend, so we'll have her. Actually, on the other side, we'll probably push the pop quiz to the end. Um, let's do a quick morning check down here on the wake-up call. All right, we'll speed race through this one. Again, big week in the college basketball tonight. Butler Creighton. Butler needs another one or two or three for the resume. It's an opportunity tonight uh, in Omaha. Nine-and-a-half-point underdog against the top 15 team. Uh, IU Penn State sounds like some encouragement on the severity of injuries for Xavier Johnson, Malik Renew. That is noon tomorrow. Big one in Terre Haute between Indiana State and Drake. That is ESPN 2 at 6 o'clock. If you haven't seen the Sycamores this year, great opportunity to check them out. And then the game of the year so far in the Big Ten, even with Wisconsin losing and blowing that lead last night, Purdue travels to the Kohl Center Sunday at 1 o'clock. The two teams tied atop the Big Ten in the loss column with two losses. And then tonight, Pacers again in Kings. Pacers a slight underdog in this one. All right, more on All-Star Weekend. We'll do that next. You want to know where the events are, how affordable they are? We'll chat about that next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. All right, James Boyd in for Andy Sweeney, and I am Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton, of course, with us. Two weeks from today, boy, let's pray for weather like what looks like be on the horizon here the next week or so, and it is going to be a hustling and bustling downtown Indianapolis with NBA All-Star Weekend descending upon the Circle City to learn more about that and the events affiliated with that weekend. Ebony Armstrong, Director of Events, Activations, and Venues for All-Star Weekend. She joins us now. Ebony, good Friday morning to you. Good morning. Happy to be here. Thank you so much for the time. I can only imagine the busyness and the craziness of it all for you as we have finally reached the month of February. Um, I I, want to start here, and it's probably the question I get the most, so I'm thinking, all right, why not waste any time? Let's throw this one at you. If financially I can't go to the Rising Stars game, if I didn't get one of those early tickets to Lucas Oil for Saturday night in the dunk contest and three-point contest, if I can't afford Sunday night All-Star weekend, your response to that for someone that still wants to experience everything that All-Star weekend has going on? It's come downtown, come to Indy's home court, because as you know, in Indy, we always have more. So you will be able to come downtown, even if you don't have a ticket to the marquee event, and you will still be able to experience NBA All-Star. We're going to be activating on Miami Circle. We're going to be activating on Georgia Street, Bicentennial Unity Plaza. It's going to still have that basketball-free open court atmosphere. So even if you don't have a ticket, come downtown because there will be DJs on all the corners. There will be photo opportunities. There will be basketball games. So we have truly made this accessible for all, and we want everyone to experience NBA All-Star with or without a ticket. I'm glad you said this because I'm like thinking to myself, like maybe I should just pop up and get some buckets or something down there. No, and boy, see what no we're trying to attract oh, we're trying to attract people to Indianapolis here, James. Look, I, I, they, if they see me <laughs> smoke enough layups... <laughs> 
Right. Are you good at that? Like, did you get some buckets up? <laughs> look, I, look, I am a rec league also. No, I'm not. I am an average Why I'm guy. on That's where James Boyd is. Exactly. Uh, but, <laughs> Ebony, to get back to the point, um, one of the things I do want to touch on is, you know, it's, it's a basketball craze state here in Indiana. So maybe what's different about this All-Star weekend as opposed to, you know, years past? I know you all usually try to mix things up. Some of the stuff is usually a lot of overlap because it is an NBA All-Star weekend. But what can we expect to be a little bit different this t- this year around? I think you just hit it perfectly. It's basketball's homecoming. I mean, it's coming to Indiana. You know our love affair with the game. So it truly will be about the basketball. As Commissioner Silver announced, they're going back to the East and West format. So the players are definitely locked in on wanting to put on the best basketball performance for the fans here in Indy because they recognize that we truly care about basketball. And then all of that flair and fun that you feel about the NBA, you're going to feel all feel it all around downtown as well as at the crossover in the convention center because the NBA is actually more than basketball. They care about fashion and topics that are important to the, the players. And all of that is on display at crossover as well as throughout the activation and experiences we're going to have downtown. Ebony, I was hoping you could focus a little bit more on the convention center for our audience because it sounds like, again, if you can't make it to one of the big marquee things we see on TV each year, it seems like that hub will have a lot of opportunities and free opportunities for you. And again, Ebony Armstrong, Director of Events, Activations, Venues for All-Star Weekend is is who we're speaking with here. So if you don't mind, and and maybe I'm wrong, maybe there's other areas that I should be focused on, but specifically kind of convention center-wise, would you consider that a good hub for people to come down to? Absolutely. Like if you're, you have family, if you're just a crazed fan of the game, you want to go to the convention center. You want to go to NBA crossover because that's where, again, you're going to get basketball in your hand. You'll be able to see some of the stars sharing. I know last year, Chris Paul talked about the children's book he wrote. He actually did a conversation panel about it. If you want to be able to go and get some shots up potentially with Jason Tatum or Tyrese, they're going to be at crossover. Like I tell everyone, if you want to just experience even just a taste of the NBA, come to the convention center, come to crossover, get an affordable ticket, and you will really be able to experience all of those things and more. I need to be reading the Max Bowen or the Chris Paul book to Max Max Bowen. Uh, Ebony Armstrong, do we still have her, Mark? Sorry, I thought, thought you dropped out. Ebony, are you there? Yes, I am. Okay. Ebony Armstrong's with us, Director of Events, Activations, and Venues again for All-Star Weekend. Um, what can we download? Where can we go? Kind of a one-stop shop if we need to see where the events are, the times, the prices, all that stuff. Any website, any app we need to be on? Yes. If you're on the app, go to the NBA Events app. That is truly the home of everything. You'll have all the marquee event information, everything that's happening downtown for the weekend. You can purchase tickets there. They actually send out alerts that tell you if an uh, athlete is going to be walking through the convention center at what time, if you want to catch someone on the stage. All of that is in the NBA Events app. You can also go to NBAAllStar2024.com. That way you can find all of that same information but of course you can get locked in even more on what we're doing from a local level so the nba events app in nba all-star 2024.com is your spot so ebony i have to ask this because this is how my brain works but <laughs> i'm nervous <laughs> um no nothing crazy but she might really hang up how no now. seriously how exciting is it to be sort of maybe at the finish line or get to the actual event after a year plus of planning with this like when did you 
maybe just get involved with it and, and, and how good to, is it to see it through to now where you're like, okay, we plan for this, we're prepared for this, and now we're going to be logistically you know, preparing for millions of people to kind of come through or thousands of people to come through this town? Well, consider we've been planning for this for seven years. <laughs> we're ready. You know, when the pandemic happened and we had to move from 21 to 24, while it was hard at the time, it actually was a perfect reset to even add more and to really fine tune our planning. So being almost, what, 14, 13 days out, oh, we're ready. We are ready for thousands of people to descend upon Indy's home court, which is what we're calling the downtown, and to truly experience NBA All-Star Indy. Indy because it's seven years in the making. Ebony, I'm a nerd. I've worked in sports my whole life, or really my whole life, but certainly since college. I'm always fascinated by people like you and how they get these jobs. Um, If if you don't mind, could you kind of explain selfishly for me and maybe for our audience out there, like how does someone become uh, the director of events, activations, and venues for certainly one of the marquee sports events in the entire world? Sure. You know, we live in a sports town, which is what's incredible. And I tell young people all the time, get plugged in. You know, I started my journey as an a unpaid intern at Indiana Sports Corp. And that's truly taking me from Sports Corp to being on staff with the Super Bowl in 2012 to working at the NCAA, which is right here in our backyard, to then now working for um, the Indiana Pacers for NBA All-Stars. So it started from an, a year-long unpaid internship. It was the best internship I got so much exposure to the sports market here in Indianapolis, such a, you know, appreciation from it and understanding the civic engagement of it all. And really that led me here. So just, you know, you got to stay plugged in as a young person. You got to be able to volunteer, get your hands dirty, start meeting people. And then, you know, you may be blessed to be able to be in a position like this, which I am very grateful for. Am I seeing this right? Are you a chirp chirper? Oh, I'm a chirp chirper all day. Go Ball State. Uh, let's go. <laughs> Michael Lewis and the men's. I saw the women's programs having a great start to the season as well Listen, here. Could they be. cannot sleep on Ball State. You guys talk, and I love the Big Ten, but we cannot not talk about Ball State University. Hey, preach, Colleen Bowen. <laughs> My mother is a Ball State grad. She would love hearing yeah. that. From you right now. I was. I was. I don't know if he was raised right, but he was raised. (laughs) I was raised by the right woman. There's no debating that whatsoever. (laughs) Ebony, can't thank you enough. Again, I know it's beyond crazy right now for you. So thanks for giving us about 10 minutes of your time. Fingers crossed for good weather here in a few weeks. And thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. Your show's amazing. And you guys keep up the great work. Thank you. And we'll see you downtown, right? Cannot wait. You bet. That is Ebony Armstrong, Director of Events, Activations, Venues for All-Star Weekend. We'll have a lot of those types of conversations here in the next few weeks. Want to make sure all of our audience is educated on what is going on here in two weeks. Freebie Friday. Pop quiz. 317-239-1070 to round it up. One final time this week, James Boyd in for Andy Sweeney. It is a freebie Friday to close things out. Fun show, James. Thank you for joining us in here. Um, it is time for the pop quiz. How about a number one through eight, James, to round it out? I'm going to go eight. Ooh, slow fingers, I guess, here. Yeah. Who we got, Mark? Slow and steady. It's good Jimmy. Ah! Good Jimmy joining us here. Good Jimmy. I, I, there's a little birdie on the other shoulder that said, you, you, and I don't know if you want to share. I hope I'm not putting you on the spot here, but you might have added a title here in the last 24 hours. I did add a title, and thanks for having me on, Kevin. Uh, my 
my new title is Uncle Jimmy, and uh, I I would love to share. His name is Cameron William. So uh, we were very excited, and congrats to my brother and my sister-in-law. How That's about awesome. that? Shout out to Uncle Jimmy. No better uncle in the world than Uncle Jimmy. Cameron, I love the name. Hope mom and dad are doing great. Jimmy, always good to hear your voice. Will you be in the building? James Boyd will be there tonight. Will you be in the building for Pacers and Kings? Or, I don't know, maybe you're going to change a diaper, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, fortunately for me, they uh, I'll be in the building. They live in New York. So, uh, and so my dad's out there right now, and my mom is headed up there this weekend. So um, I'm hoping to make the next trip with them, but I'll be in the building tonight. And James, by the way, we have met before. And next time... Uh, Next time I see you at a game, I'll introduce myself again. But I love your work too, James. Oh, sounds good. Usually people tell me they hate my work, so I definitely appreciate that. Uh, There's a reason why we call him Good Jimmy. Trust me on this one. Good Uncle Jimmy. Right. Good Uncle Jimmy. Uh, 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 I think Cameron's a future Masters champion. Ooh, let's get him fitted for the green jacket (laughs) right now. I love the sound of this. Jimmy, we're a little up against it, so we'll try and go as quick as possible here. I'll throw number one at you. All NFL head coaching vacancies are filled. Who did the commanders hire yesterday to complete that? Bill Belichick, Mike McDonald, Dan Quinn, or Brian Callahan? Dan Quinn. All right. So, number two, the Pro Bowl games got underway yesterday in Orlando. The last actual Pro Bowl game took place following the 2021 season. Who was the offensive MVP for that final Pro Bowl game? Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Kyler Murray, or Justin Herbert? Patrick Mahomes. This guy's got a new coach, right? Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert, Uncle Jimmy there. I like it. All right. Who is the defense the last defensive MVP? This guy kind of fits this, I think. Like no games off. Who was the last defensive MVP in that final Pro Bowl game? Jimmy, was it Max Crosby, Miles Garrett, Micah Parsons, or Cam Jordan? I'm gonna go with Max Crosby. I was gonna say a name that I'm very fond of. <laughs> On this day, this player became the first in NCAA history, Division I men's basketball, to reach 3,000 points for his career. Was it Oscar Robertson, Pete Maravich, Rick Mount, or Freeman Williams? Uh, can you uh, – I'll say – I'll say Rick Mount. You sure, Jimmy? No, I'm I'm not sure. <laughs> Oscar Robertson, Pete Maravich, Freeman Williams. Dazzling uh, this player. Pete Maravich. Mm, all right, number five here to round it out with Uncle Jimmy. On this day, and everyone has to have an Uncle Jimmy, I feel like. On this day in <laughs> 1967, the formation of the ABA was announced. The Indiana Pacers joined with 10 other teams to form the league. Which of the following teams did not play in the ABA's inaugural season? Did not. Was it the New Orleans Buccaneers? Was it the L.A. Stars? Was it the Oakland Oaks or the Minnesota Muskies? (laughs) Thank you, Shadi. It's a great one. Um, ah, I'll say the last one, the Muskies. Now, it's kind of fitting the answer for this one here because wouldn't you say that they did it last night, this team, and got a win? 
Yeah. Jimmy, uh, one more crack at it. New Orleans Bucks, L.A. Stars, Oakland Oaks. You could say this team, a little different name, but they certainly rested a few of their bigger names last night. L.A., L.A. L.A. Stars, is that your final answer? Do you want to phone Cameron? No, that's my final answer. Okay. All right. Man, given, given hints on question five. Kevin. Let's see how Jimmy – it's a Friday. He's a new uncle. Are you kidding me, Mark Dighton? All right, here. Uh, Dan Quinn, right? That's the last coach. Uh, see. Uh, correcto. Uh, uh, James, your answer for number two? Justin Herbert. Yeah! Max Crosby on yeah! three. Number four was difficult. Pete Maravich. I'm to win a little. Do you have any James drops or sounders you could go with here? No more. And the last one, <laughs> Uncle Jimmy. Good Jimmy, you stay on the line. You are a winner. The L.A. Stars, five for fiver to close out the week. I absolutely love ending it in that way. James Boyd, thank you, my man. Anytime, brother. Uh, thank you to Greg Rakestraw, Ross Tucker, and Ebony Armstrong again. We did a little all-star event action as well, so really appreciate Everybody joining us. That will be up on the podcast. Andy will be back on Monday. Loaded slate, 730 tonight. Pacers-Kings, Butler-Creighton at 9. Everybody have a great Friday and a great weekend.